go cool because and and i have i got no idea where to start because uh there's a lot of there's a bit of ground to cover yeah i um i feel like my preparation for this conversation started while i was eating my dinner about 20 minutes ago okay but that's it perfect i mean but also um yeah i mean i've 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 felt connected to you um through a lot of different people and i mean we could maybe we could say nick cochlear yeah <laughs> like might be one of the early connections that and I don't know when I was a junior in college um a friend gave me kiss or kill and I wasn't even a climber then um and I read it and I was like what the fuck <laughs> and uh, that that friend turned out to be um cr- crazy bunch of connections um one of my first like climbing mentors a really good friend we were roommates the next year of college together okay. he was a diehard climber who then became an ultra marathoner and then we were on the north face athlete team together but he as my one of my climbing mentors was then now an ultra marathon runner wow he actually runs a gym up in bozeman um his name's mike wolf and i think that was maybe the first contact i ever had with and and you you were in you were ski racing at the time yeah i i was in college ski racing scholarship in idaho division three school and um so then yeah fast forward a bunch of years planet rock michigan in michigan nick um the owner and then like my friend gus yeah and um which was my first sort of connection to me yeah okay yeah through the through them all yeah and partially because we were i was there working on the batman versus superman movie Nick had just opened the new Madison Heights gym closer to Detroit. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Um, I was going to say, I know that I don't know exactly where it was. It just wasn't in Pontiac anymore. No. Oh, which, sadly. Which, and that one in Pontiac is, I mean, it, I think it was one of the coolest fucking climbing gyms at the time. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure that, Ketty and I gave sort of the first kind of slideshow or whatever there in, uh, well, it was the, that would have been the East Coast. So it would have been, that would have been like spring 95, which I the think gym. it hadn't even been open for a year yeah, yet. Yeah, the gym opened in 94. Yeah. 
but it might have been the fall tour of 94. Oh, wow. I can't remember. And I fucking loved that place. And mm -hmm. then to go back in 2014 when all the holds have been stripped off um, and it was just kind of, you know, it was just empty. And uh, and then Jason wanted to film, a, I think he did it like a, a video shoot in there for men's health or men's journal, you know, one of those fitness magazines. And so they put up, two, put two roots back up on the, on the big wall where the overhang was. And it's like, man, that's like 20 years of accumulated sweat and chalk and people's energy in there. And the place felt fucking amazing. Yeah. That building has a lot of soul and it was, um, originally like an, an automotive industry building and old, 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 old. I don't even yeah. know how old and it's right on the train tracks. And, um, even, yeah, even before it, Nick turned it into the climbing gym, like it had a lot of energy and history and, um, God, I, I loved that place. And, uh, I think was that the place? I think it was the place also that Sharma won his first national championship. I wouldn't be surprised about that because they did have. They might have had the first. They might yeah. That might have been the first like yeah, I don't lead know. climbing competition, um, because of how sort of futuristic the gym was, and because Nick built it with his own hands and. It was huge. It, the walls were sixty feet tall, and to have a climbing gym that was sixty feet tall in nineteen ninety four was like I think it was the tallest in the indoor facility in the country at that time. Yeah, and then whatever that's been, kind of barely surpassed. Actually, but just like, barely. You know, yeah, I mean, it's still huge. Yeah, as far as like modern gyms go, I mean, fifty five feet, sixty feet, whatever it was. I mean, it was like impressive to walk into. Yeah. Um, I mean, one might even say intimidate. Like, yeah. The, the, <laughs> damn, this is. And and the new place when he the the new place when he was building it, and I was there. That it wasn't open yet. Um, and so he said, "Yeah, we're in here working for you know for just any time after ten in the morning. You want to come in? You know, there's some roots that have been put up or whatever." And uh, and Jason kind of shamed me into. But Jason and Nick together, I mean, it was like tag team <laughs> twice shaming to get me to go start like climbing again a little bit. And I got some shoes. Well, were you, you guys were there for like weeks well, or months six, on six end? Months. I was yeah. there for six months. Jason was only there for three or four weeks. He had a very small cameo at the end of that, that movie. Yeah. Um, you know, the first appearance of the new Aquaman or whatever. And, uh, and then he ended up buying that building in mm -hmm. Pontiac. Um, and I don't, no, you know, it was just like, wow, well, we're going to make a brew pub or we're going to distill whiskey or it's going to be a motorcycle shop or it's going to be a weight room or all of these things. You know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, I hope he does like, something really cool with it. I mean, that I it's got sure. such charm and, um, and yeah, actually I was in there with MC just like a couple of years ago while we were working on this other random project. And, uh, we, we like asked Nick and J to put us in touch with Jason if we can go in there and film. Yeah. And it was just so good to be in there. And I, while I was in there, I just, I was just like, please 
let this become something like really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah if Jason holds happy. onto it and makes it something, it'll become something cool. Yeah. Because he's, he's got a, a really fine aesthetic and the energy to put it into, you know, make it physical. Yeah. So, um, then, then what, then, uh, so there's so the you, Michigan connection in, and then... in, in, uh, Caldwell. I mean, in Idaho for school oh, yeah. and then back to Michigan. Yeah. I went, I was like, you know, graduated, lost, just sort of the classic, like, okay, I got this piece of paper. What the fuck do I do now? I'll just go back to my parents' house and like get a, get a random job. So I go and, uh, I I was going to the climbing gym more and more to the Pontiac gym. Okay. I was like, were you living close? I mean, close enough. Yeah. My folks, my folks house is like a nine minute drive from the Pontiac gym. Wow. And I, um, I worked there, uh, for a couple of summers before that. Um, so I was like close with Nick, close with the crew, I moved back there. I got a job with one of Nick's closest friends named Drew. Okay. He had started a concrete countertop and uh, furniture business. Okay. Um, making sort of custom tables, art pieces, and then just kind of countertops. It was actually really an amazing job. And Drew, he's an artistic, he's a climber. Um so I was working with Drew, you know, 50 hours a week doing this, like, heavy-duty manual labor. I mean, concrete's fucking heavy. Oh, yeah. We're, like, installing these, like, six, eight-foot-long countertops. Um, and climbing the gym, like, more and more. And then I started doing trips down to the Red River Gorge. Like, like six hours? Six and a half, six okay. hours. Like, work till, you know, five or six yeah. on Friday, do the drive get there at midnight, climb all day Saturday, climb all day Sunday, drive home, get home at midnight or one, work with Drew all week, and hit the climbing gym in Pontiac a couple days. That would get you fit. And I <laughs> I was getting fit, and I was also, I was also like definitely finding my path, this path that I'm on now. Yeah. And that went on for a few months. And then, so that, then I was going to the Red every fucking weekend. And um, I had a friend, Chris. Chris worked at Planet Rock for a really long time, and he moved and worked at Miguel's. He moved to Kentucky to climb and work at Miguel's Pizza. I was going to say, that sounds like a pizza place. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Pizza place, climbing gear shop, campground. Only place in the red. And one fucking Saturday night, I was like down there, had a great climbing day. Go to order my pizza, fill out the piece of paper. I slide it to Chris across the counter, and another piece of paper comes sliding back at me, and he goes, "Dude, I know you need this." And it was a fucking job application for Miguel's Pizza, <laughs> and um, and sure shit he's like i i talked to miguel already man he's like bring this back tomorrow morning talk to him when he's in here and i did and he's like chris told me about you uh if you want to come down here and work you can and i went back home and i told drew and and he was upset but he fucking fully got it because he's like 
a climber. Like he helped Nick yeah. <laughs> open the gym in '94, and this was um, 2004. Two, yeah, 2005. I graduated college in 2004, and this was the end of winter, spring of 2005. And so I fucking, you know, packed my shit, told my parents they were way less than psyched. And I mean, I was down there like the following Thursday. And that was like when climbing became like a daily practice, daily part of my thinking. Yeah. And, um, and then I was, yeah, then, um. Yeah, then I and was a climber. And it's not like it's it's not climber specific. I mean, it, you get a lot of other people coming to visit the the area that would go in there. In 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 the summertime, there's like tourism to like hike and see some of the like natural sandstone arches in the area and uh-huh. um but for the most part, I mean, and also locals would just come and have pizza cuz I mean, it was it's just always been really really good. Okay. Quality food, but for the most part, I mean, it was it was just climbers. I mean, he he definitely gained a lot of uh loyal following amongst like the local community and just like people who like lived out there. Um but and so that that time frame like 2005, 2006 would I mean, I'm trying to think, would that have been, I mean, Litz was probably active. I didn't know any of those folks. I mean, I just was like green. I mean, I wasn't even really a good, I wasn't a good climber at all. I I just. um, Did it come, like, regardless of how into it you were, were you good at it to start or like like did it come naturally or were it you did sort come of naturally okay it came naturally and that was one of the big draws for me because i felt really at home with the lifestyle and the practice of it which um, is which is like i would put it not a you know the opposite end of the spectrum from downhill ski mm-hmm. racing but somewhat i mean yeah both are outside both you know there's the environment sort of to deal with but like the rate at which things happen would be incomparable. (laughs) Like I've thought about, I thought about this a lot and, and, and it's like totally, it's totally like different parts of the body. And, and I think that a, a lot of my strengths as a climber, um, came translated from ski racing so uh a total body awareness just a kinesthetic awareness from toes to fingertips yeah uh the the mind's engagement into the body's movement um performing under pressure and um with consequence consequence um And then just, then things just kind of like the the things that weren't aligning. Like I mean, I I had I was huge. My head like I had forty pounds more on me than I do now. 
um, my I have stretch marks like on my quads, glutes, hips, low back from like how big my lower body was. Whoa. But I so that all kind of trimmed up. But I do think that my footwork and my legs and core are one of my strengths as a climber mm-hmm. f- directly from just my strength in that those areas from skiing so and it's I, it's interesting i mean I, and i guess like when we say oh this ski race you know that happens really at a really high rate of speed and climbing happens really slowly but when you are the doer when you are the person doing it like when you like i mean i've had those transcendent moments skiing when i'm going so fast that everything is really slow so there's like this temporal perception that totally changes and i've also been you know climbing and barely moving but shit is going through my head so fucking fast that like the the you know whether it's external stimulus coming in and being sort of slowed down by the fact that you maybe you know depending on how you feel about these things maybe you're shifting into a a, a parallel time domain or something where I go, yeah, I'm going 60 miles an hour, but it just feels smooth and, and very slow. And then, or I'm completely stuck in this one position and all of the speed is completely internal. That's, that's really interesting. Cause I definitely do feel like I've experienced the spectrum of, time passing at really rapid rates or really slow rates in both pursuits yeah and um yeah i I think it's i think it's possible to unpack that but maybe not entirely useful or necessary no i don't think it's yeah but like i i do i i i feel like i and 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 more than anything too just as an awareness of self a knowledge a self knowledge of, of of you know all these years of of skiing and and moving that way and then competition as well but that's kind of like this extra component to it but just just moving in space with my whole body and navigating the emotions of it be it you know fun anger sometimes sadness sometimes like this again the whole spectrum having gone through so many years of skiing and and skied with basically every emotion yeah um and and learning you know myself through all that there was like a definite like plug and play you know a lot from, from the skiing, skiing to, climbing. to climbing and then with a couple of years of just adapting my body to it i mean i climbed like 514 in a year and no shit yeah i think it was like less than a calendar year of yeah. of when I'm or maybe a calendar whatever from when I moved to Miguel's to like or two calendar years whatever the fuck it was like 
you know, but I moved it at Miguel's and I climbed like a one, two 12 A's and a 12 B. And then by the end of that season, a few months, I climbed 13 C. And then the next year, I like climbed 13 D in the spring. And then I moved to Colorado and then I climbed 14 A Thanksgiving Day of 2006. And, um, yeah, so like a year and a half-ish or whatever from and so there was just um and also kind of like bringing all this this training knowledge that uh, and weight room knowledge and and coaching and self-coaching and then applying it to climbing and trying to figure all this shit out and like fine-tune things and then what what do you feel like the, the, the the sense of like artificial training for climbing what was the date in 2005 i don't there was like no i mean you never heard any i felt weird doing it i didn't talk to anybody about it when i moved back to my parents house for the winter of 2005 uh-huh. i like didn't tell anybody like i got some hangboards and some weights in my parents basement and like i have these ideas it's interesting because like i would say i'm trying to think it would have been sort of mid 90s i mean 94 95 96 time frame I was spending a fair amount of time with Jeff Weigand and he was super, like, I didn't realize how far down the road in the application, like the application of artificial training to sport climbing that he was, but based on certain relationships, what he was doing in the weight room in 1995, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily what's happening now, but it wasn't like his concepts about limit strength were not too far wrong Mm. and and i missed a lot of that you know and i actually now you got me thinking but but i'm just saying like and that was very isolated here in salt lake because it was like it was personality driven it was him and the people close to him i just happened to overlap and you know he coached me for a while um in you know to to, uh like i went from steve ilg doing like sort of more holistic artificial training for climbing and realized like, okay, after a year or so that, you know, we weren't going to resonate. I wasn't, I wasn't on the same metaphysical level that he was like that. Like I thought I was, but not when it came time to go to the gym. Right. And Wagon was much, very much more sort of data practical practical feet on the ground and that seemed to work for me for my temperament at that time Mm -hmm. and then you know that would have changed over the next 10 years but um but i think what jeff was doing like it didn't get exported necessarily like i mean dale and udo had their book eric horst had a book a little bit you know about it and um and i'm it's i mean i say it's like surprising that even though even 10 years later despite the existence of the hangboards and like very specific tools that you didn't have the feeling that it was as pervasive yet. Yeah. The, I, and, and now you got me thinking like maybe there was a lull in climbing okay. training coolness or something uh, from like the, the frothing dudes that I know of in the nineties and the woodies and the, and, and I, I just, I just don't, frothing I just, is yeah. not, not the wrong word. Yeah. You know, just like yeah. eager, yeah. uh, 
And, but I just, I didn't have a sense that people were thinking about climbing training much more than just we're going climbing in the climbing gym. Yeah. And I, I used Planet Rock, the Pontiac gym, uh, that I actually worked at Pontiac that winter. But I only climbed as a part of my weekly schedule one day a week. I did um, all my other training in my parents' basement. And um, I immediately, as soon as the spring came, I immediately went back to the red and did my first 13D. And then I was like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Or I know a little bit about what I'm doing because I just spent so much of my life doing that in ski racing and ski racing if you're serious about it it's not a winter thing it's a fucking 12 month a year thing yeah maybe 11 and there's a lot of dry land training that happens yeah you know when there's not snow yeah and so that was cool to me um and to have these big progression leaps both I think because I just connected with climbing but also because I I had a little bit of knowledge about like how to train and lift and um and to structure it in a way that you didn't get injured yeah I was I was super conservative like hey I need, you know, the good month and the red is March, April, whatever it is. Exactly. And yeah. those that's when I need to be as strong as I can possibly be and, and well-rested. You know what's so funny, Mark, is you just reminded me that, like, when my first year in climbing, like, I only climbed, like, one out of every three or four days because I knew from weight training and from my ski racing that, like, you don't recover fully for four days from an intense, you know, physical exertion. So if you want to be fresh, if you want to feel fresh, yeah, you got to rest. So I literally, like 2005, I climbed like one, I'd climb a day and I'd rest two or three days. Climb a day, rest two or three. Now, and for the last like fucking decade, it's been like climb two or three days, rest one day climb two or three or four days rest one day and, and i feel like tolerance that you you know built up to be able to you know assimilate and take advantage and maybe you know over time you and i mean i think in the beginning when the when the eagerness is there and the physical talent is there it's the time to when you get injured but it's also the time when very little input will cause enormous if disproportionate gains mm. where okay i'm muscularly and if we talk about it i mean it's, the, I mean, it's like the development between you know um the muscular strength and the, con- to the supporting connective tissue to work it's like a three to one deal that the muscle will develop way faster and so you end up with you know uh, you shifting the risk to other areas and maybe after you know let's just say 15 years of doing it, you've turned yourself into someone who needs more volume, Mm -hmm. needs more frequency in order to make 
gains that might have, you know, would have come 15 years ago, like just by thinking about it. In the yeah, I metaphorical think, sense, I guess. I think the pendulum started where it started and then maybe <laughs> swung out the other direction and, and now it's sort of, tr it's done a few uh, full cycles and maybe it's steadying. I mean, even when we were talking, you know, in the, what the hell? A while ago. F <laughs> fall? Fall, I think. Yeah. 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 Uh, I feel like I even had then a different sense of how much I needed to be training than I do now. It's I've yeah. even calmed down since then and allowed allowed for more rest and allowed for more rest days but i yeah so i but this spring was i mean it it didn't seem like over the winter you were resting a lot like there was a lot like seemed like okay there's some big zone two days ski touring whatever which you know that could be regenerative certainly mentally um but it's for some reason like i i recall having the question in my head about like okay is he doing too much at this high level of intensity but it seems like it paid off uh, yeah it's in in some in some way i i think well i i didn't get injured so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which, how many climbers right now that you know that have been, like, are injured right now? I feel like we're all carrying some form of injury well, that we're willing okay. to admit it, to or not. It, <laughs> good point. I mean. <laughs> and we were all, yeah. like, constantly working around some tweak or sprain or strain or Yeah, I mean, I guess that's just, like, okay, this is high-level sport practice doesn't you know that it, that's going to come with uh injuries yeah yeah but i've my tendency is for sure to do more too much than too little it always has and whether that's climbing specific or general activity or <laughs> fucking emailing and just basic ass correspondence or yeah. or artwork or whatever it's um i've always been a really active person and with a really active mind and i the my my sort of aging process has been to understand that and to try to like re resist that um and yeah or steer it just steer it, yeah. Steer, <laughs> steer parts of it, and because resistance and is pull kind the, of and pull the e-brake on other parts. <laughs> yeah, of yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so with um, college, you didn't you didn't study art in college. You know, actually, I did. Oh, I so I was. I for some like I'm sorry, I made an assumption. No, no, don't. It's, Ski it's racing okay. scholarship, Caldwell, Idaho. Didn't some art you know come up with? Yeah. art for me for some reason and I don't it's know. okay no it's uh uh i double majored in biology and 
ceramics Uh. and minored in chemistry. And I was trying to be my father's son uh, and be pre-med and be a doctor. Um, My dad is an immigrant from Syria, and he is a uh, voracious student and learner and um you know he he wanted uh, his offspring to have opportunities that he didn't have and yeah. have a life and profession um and just be able to take care of ourselves um and so he is the eldest son and I'm the eldest son and I you know he was definitely grooming me to be you know a modern day professional doctor lawyer guy businessman um and so i was just tried my damnedest you know to to do that and i went to a liberal arts college so i had to take these prereqs and other yeah um fields of study and i i was always artistic had sketchbooks and drawing and 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 outputting in creative ways before high school and then before college so two years in you know i'm taking all these fucking science classes and um i gotta take my draw my uh art prereqs and so i take intro to drawing and then it was just like i got it you know and then i took another class and another class and the art building was like this new bright lots of windows the science the fucking science building is this old dark fucking thing and i'm like in there for all these la- four hour labs three hour labs and then the, the art building was like just like total balance to that yeah so then i go you know uh, another year and i i've taken quite a lot of art classes at this point and one of the art uh professors is like you know you could have an art major too and I was like, well, so Wait, then, I could have a triple major. Yeah. So then, so then I, so then I just sort of committed and, to that too. You know, along with that, that fed right into the tendency to like do plenty, do too much. Right. Yeah. No, I, like, so what's why? Funny, yes, I can. You know, I I had to take a semester of summer college to be able to graduate in four years with a double major and a minor, and I almost had a religion minor too. and so then i i finished this thing and um yeah just and of course you know clay pottery like was the way i went and the the thing that called to me that's what i did my senior exhibition in and um and then that just laid really dormant for yeah, most of the last fifteen years or whatever. Okay, I mean, it certainly seems and like then, in the last few months. Yeah, that, COVID that, fucking <laughs> like it came back with kind of the pendulum went the other way. Yeah, the last few year, last couple of years, I've been doing these like community art projects, painting projects at mm-hmm. different climbing events that I've been to. Yeah, just as a way to spice up what for me has gotten to be like quite monotonous climbing events they're like these cut and paste things where Mm -hmm. you like show up 
teach some clinics, maybe give a slideshow. You know, there's the, the parties in the evenings. It's like a decade into that and it's like, okay, you know, and the thing is since I'm an ice climber and a winter climber, like I go to the winter climbing events and then the rock climbing events. So it's like I'm always going to climbing events and they're always kind of the same. I mean, that's not super fair because each location has its own style and vibe and lovely community and i def- definitely enjoy that but I yeah mean, you go to north work, conway it's different than munising which is different than bozeman yeah. which is different than uray i mean the that, work like, components of it are always really much like yeah the same so as a way to try to show up a little bit differently i started thinking about and I don't even know where this came from. Like these adult paint by numbers. So I'd like okay. create a huge canvas that was really un- like unintimidating to approach. And you, the paints, the paint brushes, everything was there. And you could just show up and paint in a little shape. Like you didn't okay. have to be anything yeah. artistic, a painter, a drawer, whatever. So it was like adult paint by number. And then, so then that got, that, that was just the little spark. And I did a, few events like that and then and so those the paint by number like where's it what's it happening like is it happening at indoor climbing gyms sometimes uh yeah we did i did one uh last year at a climbing gym in seattle for global climbing day okay um i've done two different years at this event called color the crag Mm -hmm. um in horse pens in alabama um and it's yeah, just one big canvas or a few um, medium-sized canvases that I basically prepare, draw on, maybe even start to paint a little bit just to like give people an idea what to do, um, and then show up, set it up, have all the paintbrushes and paint available, and like just over the course of a day, like anybody who's at that event can show up and. And add something. Add something. And then I take the canvases home and I finish them. And then it's like this crazy, beautiful, really colorful thing that like hundreds of people made together. And that's that was always really cool to me. And people really seemed to enjoy doing that. And then one of my other one of my sponsors asked me to if I wanted to design a t-shirt and i was like sure i'll i'll sort of try my best you know i i'd like want to maybe try like a print uh, like a a a woodcut or like a hand carved print rather than like a drawing or a painting or something and um That came out, that just like came out really so much cooler than I imagined. And that might have been a year before, like this March or something. And then, then, yeah, fucking COVID hit. And I was just like at home, like, what, what? So I like you got a bunch of pr- what? Yeah, like got like, <laughs> a, a, mark, like a bunch of printmaking shit. I bought this fucking bullshit Joey art 
like bow and arrow set up set it up in my fucking front yard i like i was like i need stuff to do yeah all day long and um because when it let's just um let's just say when covid happened here i was like well we were early adopters let's say of the like fucking personal isolation shutdown because we i mean because we realized like hey if we don't if we don't make sure that everyone's clean then we can't assemble and if we can't assemble we can't work and then this business is going to go away you know essential not essential it gives a fuck we're going to keep doing what we do but um it felt like you got like that you doubled down on the insulation <laughs> or isolation maybe like early early on and I did. I mean, you invited Which, me to come in here to talk. Yeah. And I had definite reservations. And I had... Oh, we were flipping. I mean, we... The, the, yeah, I think when I asked that, we were probably... I, I was... My flip out was sort of waning a little bit. Like, okay, I feel like we're in a better position. I mean, I got totally caught on the back foot, unprepared. No way to... I can't stay home for 30 days. I... I'm not like a headspace. I've never been so unprepared in my entire life right. for any, you know, abnormal event. Took a, you know, a couple of weeks of daily focus and then that got fixed. But I think when I invited you to come in, we were, we were sort of on the wane with the, um, with that, I'll, I, I would say overreacting, you know, from my perspective right now. But, um, you you were still pretty well it's, locked in. It was interesting because I I had I think right then I was in my overreaction, but I also had COVID, like right fucking then. I was I was I had a head so I had a quote head cold, but okay. I, it was like then that turned out that I had had that was I had COVID, and so I was um, basically. I had just spent, you know, a couple of weeks really paying attention to Italy, friends in Italy, oh, not yeah. seeing the United States do anything at all. Yeah. Getting really scared. Never scared that I'd get sick myself, but just scared for our society, our community, our unpreparedness. Our, And then I get fucking sick and I'm like okay yeah this is just a fucking head cold i thought i had a sinus infection and and i i like even called the utah covid hotline i'd like talk to somebody i'm like these are my symptoms i know i'm trying to pay attention be a good citizen what's going on yeah i was like i don't think this is covid i don't have any upper respiratory anything any cough nothing she's like sounds like you just have a sinus infection or a head cold maybe the regular flu it's flu season she's like just stay home and get better she said, we couldn't even test. This is early March. Yeah, where there, there was no way here in Utah to test. So I was like, yeah, okay. So, um, but then I had, I basically set up all my meal, all my food to get delivered, um, just ordered bleach, fucking cleaning supplies. Like, I mean, I, I was like, I need 
I'm not going out for fucking anything. I'm not. I'm definitely not going to the grocery store. Yeah. I even ordered masks. I was one of the first people to fucking order some masks. Okay. I and I started like posting on my social media. I was like, "This is a respiratory infection, like, or or virus. Like, shouldn't everybody be wearing masks?" Dude, people came down on me like fucking crazy. They were like. Don't encourage people to to wear masks. You're, there's going to be a shortage and all this shit. And I was like, okay, well, I was like, like, you don't have to buy a surgical mask. You can buy like a proper fucking respirator. Yeah. For like thirty five bucks that has filters and everything. Like the hospitals ain't using those in any case. So I got masks and I got nitrile gloves and all this shit. And and then I just sort of hunkered in and I definitely had a fucking hysterical breakdown. Um, I think the isol- for if we are accustomed to being social, the isolation is f- okay. Absent any comorbidities, you know, you're you're at risk, you know, member of an at risk group, whatever. Like absent any of that stuff, like the the we are social creatures by nature. Some of us, you know, maybe more social than others, and kind of dependent on that thing. And and it's like, yeah, I'm totally good to be by myself for 72 hours you know like and then it goes on and it goes on and i and i think that's quite a bit more dangerous ultimately than the physical potential physical consequences of this virus and you know let's just say caveat today is september 2nd the cdc did walk back their number of fatalities last week percentage wise blah 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 Mm -hmm. um but we didn't but in march that was like i was I flipped out. I mean, yeah. I told Selena, I, you got to close your clinic. You're going to be way more exposed. Like, I'm old. I can't afford to get this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, it's um, just like, here's here was the reasoning. It's just like my thought about being overly cautious then was like, what's the consequence of being overly cautious versus under cautious? Yeah. I, I was like, what's wearing a fucking mask and gloves and like, hand sanitizing stuff like it's fucking nothing yeah you should be washing your hands you know a couple times a day anyway because come on like if you're you know you're around people go to the rock gym what like you are touching things you're grabbing the rope pulling up slack put it in your fucking mouth it's yeah. been in the mouths of how many people you know if you don't bring your own rope the ropes on the like, floor on the, the rope- fucking floor people walk around barefoot all over the place yeah. you know it's like no it's and so I was. I just was like, yeah, I'm gonna try to be the most cautious and conservative possible because that seems like a more logical place to be in at the moment. And but also, just you couldn't get information. Being casual about it. Well, and I mean, I just, I just was hearing from my friends in Italy about what the fuck was really going on, and I was like holy shit, like, this is going to be for real here. And the sooner people start taking it really seriously, maybe the sooner we can... Whatever. Whatever. Come out the other side of it. Like, I mean, because beating it is not a thing. Going back to normal is not a thing. Like, whatever language we were misusing in March, we real you know, a couple months later, you realize, like, oh, yeah, we were... Did did you... foresee the politicization of it when it was happening 
because I sure no, I fucking, no, I like, didn't at no, all. No, and I just I've yeah the whole like <laughs> it seems so crazy to think that the president of the United States got in front of people and said that it was a hoax by the Democrats. Like, what the fuck? I mean, like... Democrats are strong over there in Italy. American Democrats, they're strong. They had a lot of influence over there. <laughs> and I just... So, yeah. I, I, no, I didn't... For sure didn't see that. But it's... Uh, it's so sad how poorly the United States has managed this. It really... It's so ironic and hypocritical and just painful that like the one of the most brilliant countries in the, the whole world, the most intelligent and powerful and that somehow we are the worst affected by this thing and like we've had the like most deaths and it's still you know wreaking havoc on yeah. us fall isn't even here yet i mean i say jokingly but yeah the next will there be a you know another sort of bump probably you know whatever um it's like okay this is but but i think when you say you know world superpower whatever leader da 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 um but we're also made up of I mean, yes, certain states in proximity with other states and certain regions, they share characteristics with other states. So it's not 50 independent nations under one, um, you know, one united umbrella. But culturally, um, you know, there are different. It, 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 it's like, let's go to Italy. OK, so and, and, and it really it, I mean, it seems and ha having lived in Europe for a long time um, that you only have sort of the northern southern divide. Okay, that's because it's a long-ish, boot-shaped, north-south-oriented country, etc. Um, but, but, but here, I think you have a lot more different sort of points of view, opinions, political positions. Responses. Re responses, yeah. and therefore responses. And the thing um, about And so it's not fires. ever going to be unified, nor should it be. And we're looking to someone on a federal level to unify the nation when in reality, um, maybe the responses could have been more appropriately administered by the local governments to the local populations, given the local circumstances. Well, the, and that's the thing you took the words right out of my mouth about it. Cause it's like, this virus is very locational. Like population density is yes. critical. Air pollution yeah. happens to be critical. The number of, I mean, other, you know, obviously so obesity. Like how it's so. working in New York City versus how it's working in Lander, Wyoming is like, I mean, it's like Earth and Pluto, mm -hmm. you know? And so um, that matters. That definitely, yeah. definitely matters. And I feel, I feel, feel like utah as a state was one of the earliest to have testing had some of the slowest um case rate growth yeah um had some of the lowest death rate and and so i feel quite 
fortunate for being here. I mean, that's that's how I found out that what I had was COVID. A, a month after I my symptoms, mm-hmm. my girlfriend and I, we went to do the test, Utah free testing for fucking anybody. Yeah. And we get the test results back and I'm, I tested positive and she tested negative. And so this, te- this made no sense for like a few different reasons, but yeah. come to understand that the virus tests only tests for a certain amount of viral material. It doesn't know if the virus is active. It doesn't yeah. know if you're contagious. It doesn't know shit. It just says, do you have above this number or below this number? Well, you can have viral material in your body up to 40 days after symptoms. And if you have above the number, your test's going to be positive. Okay. So I tested positive three and a half weeks after my last day of symptoms. And so this was really perplexing. It was like, what the hell's going on? Um and then a week later, I, I got the, the antibody test, and mm-hmm. I was positive. And then like 10 days later, I had another antibody test, positive. And so we sort of come to piece the story together. And um, But where did I get it? No fucking idea. Yeah. No idea. And I mean, my first day of symptoms was March uh, 15th. I had a little tickle in my throat. And then I, I was like sensitive enough to my own physiology that I was yeah. like, fuck, I'm gonna get I'm getting sick. And then March sixteenth, sure shit, I woke up sick. But again, like the th- symptoms they were listing as COVID symptoms weren't really that aligned with what I had going on. I mean there was like a yeah. couple of things. But so anyways, it's yeah, what a fucking wild trip. So one thing that you mentioned in a text that we exchanged that we had was after testing positive and then I presumably telling some people that were around. I mean, I I know that when um, uh, one of the guys here, like right the week before a symposium or maybe it was 10 days before, is like, I got it, tested positive. And I was just like, I was so pissed. Like, God damn it. <laughs> because then like some people had just been here and then like our friend Kelly had been here and then she went back up to Jackson and I'm just like, okay, now I'm starting to see like this, you know, superimposing this fucking spread vectors in my brain, you know, like, oh fuck. So he had it and they were there because they were in there. You were like it's doing your own con- like, okay, contact so now tracing. It's here. Yeah. Right. In my, in my head, you know, for whatever reason, um, Turns out, you know, completely over responding. Um, nobody got it from that one person. No. Yeah. Nobody, no. nobody, as and nobody got it from me. I, I can actually safely say. And if they did, they were asymptomatic. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, which is like from our first, our symposium in at the, the last weekend in May, I was just like, all right, you know, everybody's split on the Sunday night or Monday or whatever. And I was just like, all right, count seven day countdown clock let's see what happens you know nobody came back with it same the july symposium same thing nothing happened i'm like okay well some either you know for whatever reason um 
that we are having these gatherings. You can't always respect all of the rules nor, and everybody comes in and we're just like, first thing up is like, you stand in that square. You said, Oh, we have the meeting. You know, like this is a risky situation. How do you guys want to handle it? And virtually everyone's just like, look, if the more normal we can treat this social engagement, the healthier it will be for all of our brains. Like, all right, that's, what we're doing, but you had mentioned this text exchange that there were some, um, let's just say antisocial kind of responses from some people. Well, or, and I don't know what, like, I don't know if it's that or it's a negative response or it like, Hey, don't call me. I'll call you kind of, you know, like, I don't know, but yeah, I, I read that and I just thought that's really wild. Yeah. It's, um, You know, in, in March and early April, even April, all of April, like, people were still so on edge and just really the misinformation, the pseudoscience, the the just lack of, like, willingness to educate and only sort of read headlines. Um, just, there just was everybody was just so on edge and um there was yeah we arranged this little climbing wall yeah so that a few of us could continue to climb and um you know really heightened sterilization protocols and you know single person use mm -hmm. and a schedule and all this stuff and and um the reaction upon hearing that I had had it a month ago a month before A month later seemed really irresponsible for me to not have disclosed any sickness at all, even a sniffle or a cough. And I certainly understand that. But like when in the course of my life or your life or fucking human history, do you do you tell your friends you have a fucking sniffle? If, you know, yeah. you're like going about your life and trying to let, and now I I get it, like the circumstances of COVID and a global viral pandemic, but in early March, like, I mean, and especially if you don't have like, it, like at that time in early in March, let's say people who got it ended up on ventilators. Right, like that was the thing. It's like yeah. you're going to end up on a ventilator, and once you're in the hospital on a ventilator, you're going to fucking die. So it's like, well, don't put me on a ventilator then, <laughs> uh, you know. But but that, that, I think that was the sort of consciousness at the time, and a sort. And so if you don't have ventilator appropriate symptoms, then you're not, you know, or like an incapacitating cyclic fever, 
maybe yeah. you're not going to tell. So is it like, is it allergies? Whatever? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. and I called, I, ca- I called the fucking COVID hotline. I, and yeah. while I was sick, I actually, for the most part, almost all of the 10 days stayed at home. Yeah. Um, entirely at home, but I, I was, I actually noticed the fucking tickle in my throat while I was in that gym. Okay. And I was like, that it was like causing me, it was in the afternoon on the 15th. I was actually in there training and it, it was like this tickle that would make me just go like, <laughs> like every like 20 minutes or something to just like okay. scratch my throat. And I was yeah. like, mm, this is, I don't normally have this. And then I went in there a few days later, but I had already had my mask. I wore a mask the entire time. Mm-hmm. I had wore black nitrile gloves the entire time. So whatever, like March 20th or 19th, I went in there um, not to train or climb, but to actually get the fucking squat rack barbell weights to bring back to my house. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I was in there with some other folks. We were socially distanced. I had a fucking mask on that had an N99 filter in it. Yeah. I had black nitrile gloves. You know, but in... But it's interesting that the, so the, it's like weird, you know. I'm the, like the negative I'm like, <laughs> social reaction comes a month later when people are like, "No one got uh, sick, exactly." So like, this is you know kind of retroactive, like virus well, shaming, and and it, you know or behavior shaming. I guess. Yeah, it was, and I, I I reflect. I tried to reflect on it, and I I guess you know like they felt like I. I violated like their trust. Yeah, abuse of trust. Yeah, and and then yeah. I, and then I and like the, the, so that was like four or five weeks further along when shit was still super intense. You yeah. know, like and and then people were really scared, and and the there was still no information about was the re- yeah. reality of this thing, and and so people were still basically panicking hard then and like look it's human nature when you're fucking uncomfortable you want to project that shit onto somebody else yeah and you want to blame it on somebody else and i and there was definitely a big part of what happened with all that that was a that that was that yeah i'm fully willing to like own my part in adding to it or participating in it um, but like at that time and, and for weeks still for April and even May, like, like no one likes to be uncomfortable and, and, and likes to not have something to put it on. Yeah. And I yeah. just, um, but for all, for all the components of that, of of that that I experienced like there were also this other side of it this like beautiful side that I got to represent and model to several different other communities because no one knew anyone who had had it at that point yeah and and I, I got to speak of my experience and and 
you know, show people that it was okay or gonna be okay or could be okay and and also yeah this isn't like a semi truck trailer full of bodies that can't be identified because they're piling up so fast here's someone who came through it and was okay like this is the other side of this rather hysterical coin that you know we're basically flipping every day and trying to figure out what our appropriate response is and and yeah the, uh, the you know the the few people that I personally know that have had it have all come through um oh yeah it was kind of uncomfortable but not that bad you know whatever obviously we have a a, a very restricted type of population that we're exposed to you know I'm not uh talking with you know older people who are diabetic and weigh 400 pounds yeah or yeah. you know what in or you know old people that are a lot older than me and i mean i put myself i'm just like yeah let me 59 here in a little bit and so that kind of puts me in that category maybe i'm you know looked after myself well you know my, my immune system might be a little bit better tuned up than some others but maybe not you know i don't i don't know and and it's and but i don't think it's I don't feel enough pressure from it to personally on an individual level this is not have anything to do with like social interactions but on an individual level for myself I'm I will not have not will not change much yeah in my behavior and when it comes to relationships and exposing potentially exposing myself to others or others to myself Okay, I have a lot more compassion and awareness for it. And I was in a conversation the other day with a guy that lives in my building, and we were talking about oh, the, the you know the the strangeness of the world. And he and he looks at me and he goes, "Well, I would you know." And he was talking. He's not totally on board with the you know the the media fear mongering. And he looked at me and he said, "Now I would have thought you would be someone who was anti mask." Oh wow! And I'm, and, and I'm just like, <laughs> oh my god, the baggage that comes with that statement. Like, I immediately said, I didn't vote for the guy. You know, like that's the first thing I want to say. Which, you know, because <laughs> um, that's so, a that's a presumptuous, massively presumptuous statement, huh? Yeah, but 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 I don't fault him for it. You know, because whatever guy's probably seen me. You know loading firearms in and out you know or like or whatever other like oh oh he has a, he owns firearms and he goes shooting like three times a week he must be a right-wing extremist right. member of a militia <laughs> white supremacist you know like whatever goes uh, whatever you know, boxes line up with that. line up with that he's not pro-choice he's the other that whatever's the opposite of that like all the shit that goes with That's whatever pretty funny though thing but it was pretty funny and i, and I was just like man I'm not anti I'm I'm anti thought control but I'm not anti mask. I'm anti power pol, you know political power grab but I'm not anti mask and I'm not anti like thinking that the virus is a thing you know whatever. I it's like hey if it I go into a play like if I want to go into this place and I'm required to wear a mask then I'm going to do that. And if and if 
that behavior makes other people more comfortable doing work that they voluntarily do, but also necessarily do because their debt has not been canceled, even though, you know, they were out of work for a specific amount of time or whatever. Fucking, what's it like? I'm not going to wear it 24 seven because I know that I understand the medical costs because a friend of mine who's a really smart dude did a bunch of early on clinical studies with, you know, that involved Mayo Clinic and some other places, you know, about the continuous use of mask wearing and how you can sort of, if you've got to wear it for a short period of time, how you can prep yourself and these breathing exercises before you put it on and da, 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 da. And it's like, okay, it's not, it's not a big deal. And it certainly isn't a fucking political issue. Yeah. It never was. I mean, I like, dude, I, I like, I bought a bunch of masks in early March and I bought them for my girlfriend and I bought them. I, for, it's, it's the gift of love. Well, I just was like, <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? This is like no big deal. Like, yeah. you know, if, if you get this thing by breathing it in, then just fucking cover your nose and mouth. Like, yeah. Or you get it mostly, I think by t- like, like I think the respiratory sort of, uh, Ex- exposure appears to be lower than you know okay we need to be in a closed room we to, to like exchange oh yeah yeah so yeah. for a long period of it's, time but it seems so much but it's more the, difficult to contract than was originally thought yeah in like march and april but it's the touching of this and then the face and the yeah, touching, it's of this touching and then of it's like fi- and then we yeah. can't nobody everybody fucking you know okay i I got an itch. I'm going to scratch and it's going to be right next to my eye or, you know, like, yeah. okay, that seems to be the more likely thing. But, yeah. um, you know, what's funny, Mark, it's like I was in the post office the other day sending art art. Yeah. And, um, I walked out, I was getting on my dirt bike and, and this woman came up behind me and she said, it's so nice to see a young person wearing a mask. And I turned around and I was like, Oh, it, is that like not what you're seeing or experiencing? And I looked and she had a fucking Intermountain Healthcare badge on. She's like, no, you know, like I've seen like most young people just like not really concerned about it. And I was like, wow, that's such a shame. I'm sorry to hear that. And we talked for a little bit and, and and she basically thanked me for wearing a mask. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's so funny. I've, I've fucking had covid already <laughs> yeah and and she's like yeah my my son and his girlfriend they just they just got it they have it right now and and we just chatted and i just i thought that was so weird that but yeah like i i don't um I was going to say, I don't get the resistance, but I do because the mask is a token or a totem for something else in the minds of people, right? It's like it represents, you know, thought control. It represents, you know, oh, this is, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, deep in the red, middle of the red state or whatever, you know, it's like, oh, it's something that's coming from the coasts it's the blue people thing it's you know or whatever people think it is can't tell me what to do um you know kind of stuff and i feel like it's it, it, it's the mask is an abstraction of some other sense of being threatened by something that cannot be controlled so well, let's focus on the mask 
Yeah, as, it's, it's as almost thing, when it's, it's like not for that, that they want to project their discomfort on the mask. Yeah, and so it, they're just not gonna have a conversation about like what where the real discomfort. Like, oh, you mean you just suddenly realized that life is chaos and you're not in control. <laughs> you know shit sudden realization at yeah. age 40 or whatever you know you got going there but uh it has been true all along and i get it that this one thing is the totem that you're gonna respond to and, and focus everything on um but you know you've never been in control and everything that you you know that you thought you were controlling like that was a fucking illusion and I'm sorry, reality came home to roost for you. But I think a lot of people, let's just say in our community, you know, people like climbing community, or then the flip side of that for me is sort of the military shooting community, or even in fitness or Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's a lot of people who understand that, that there never has been control. And it, yeah, we, more so than other other populations, let's say. It's, it's kind of like what we were talking about the other day. It's like, okay. I only have so much capacity and so much thought, so much energy. I'm not going to do I want to spend all my time fucking arguing, like talking about the mask, talking about all the surroundings of this or do I want to be able to go to the climbing gym and climb and do my thing? Because if I do, I just got to wear the fucking mask. Yeah. Or go to the fucking grocery store and get food. Or, or even <laughs> even more in, in a more simple sense, do I want to have these conversations or do I want to get shit done? Yeah. And if, if like, you know, sorry, your unemployment benefits, you know, increased the extra 600 a week, you know, ran out and you're, you know, now you're thinking about working again. But for that period of time, while well, you were, you know, sponsored by... You know, the Trump administration, let's say, um, tongue in cheek, um, you know, all you could do, you know, you had plenty of time to talk. You had plenty of time to get worked up over shit. You didn't have to go down to the river and get water and carry it back in two fucking buckets on a stick, you know, which is like and, and 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 but. For us, like the whole time, we're we're just fucking working, and yeah, there were ebbs and flows and everything, but we just realized, like, well, we can't stop because we there is no safety net for us, so we have to keep doing this. So I don't want to fucking talk about it, yeah, because I got like gonna focus on this other thing, and I'm gonna go, oh, I got one more fucking mask guy, Jesus Christ, okay, yeah. you know, like or um. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it that that gets in the way of actually living. Well, that's the thing, and and it's just like the it comes one of the most important currencies right now in in our time is attention, and it's like if you want to fucking if it it's not money, it's not property, it's it's not muscle, it's not materials it's attention it and and it's like like the ability to pay attention or or the the no there's no shortage of things that are trying to get your attention yes and it's like yeah man you can fucking spend all day arguing about masks or 
a million other things or flipping through Instagram and six hours go by, you know? And it's just like, again, I only have so much attention in a day. And what do I want to direct that to? And and in what condition do I want that attention to be when I do direct it? Because if I, I mean, I know personally that like if I, you know, wake up and look, look at some news or whatever, or some politician saying some shit or whatever while I'm drinking my coffee, I know that I'm not bringing positive creative attention into the office no that's going to resonate it's the ripple effect is going to carry on hours after you contacted that thing and it's like dude we just don't have a fucking lot of that you know we act and we live like we have infinite amounts of attention and energy and days to live and it's like I just don't and I don't want to fucking feel the way that I feel when I contact shit like that and then transmit it into wherever else I'm going from there. And do you do you sense that um you contact that information and you just like creates a fucking super negative feeling? Do you like one of the things we first want to do is like I need to share this. And it's not like I want to bring my friends down. It's like, man, if I can offload 10% of this to that guy, (laughs) another 15% over here, oh, this guy, I can give him 25% of this. And then I'm just like a little bit lighter. I can get out the door. Like I'm diluting the pollution Mm -hmm. in a way. Or or does it, I also think that sharing thing comes out of like, oh, if I share this, I I have some sense of agency or some. For sure that, yeah, like meaning, like almost like I'm being useful. Yeah. Um, a lot of yeah it just depends on the content and its quality like sometimes making light of it helps having a laugh at some of the craziness uh, is is like diffusion in, in its own yeah but um I mean, to to be totally fucking honest with you, like, I, I just don't know if I have found a really wholesome, good, productive use of um, quickly consumed digital media. It always hurts me more than it, it helps me. Yeah. And I always feel like I... I end up feeling worse than I do better whether I share it or not or whatever it's only like medium and longer form that starts to potentially have a positive impact on on me so if you just follow only dog accounts on Instagram <laughs> you'll be you'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I mean, animals I animals like, are the exception. Yeah. <laughs> animals can be the exception. Okay. Ani- <laughs> animals uh um but I but I agree with you there's because there is a distinction there between the short quickly consumable thing 
which is your 280 characters if you're a Twitter user or whatever image and caption, you know, Instagram. But you're right. The medium and long form things that require engagement, things that require me to think along the way during the consumption process or the exposure process. I think that's those are the kind of things that we can probably steer better where the other stuff, it's just fucking flashing lights and loud noises. Clickbait bullshit, like headlines, fucking how much skin can I show? Yeah. You know, uh, before I get banned and have to go to my backup account, how, how like inflammatory or just combative and disruptive. Can mm. I be, you know, it's, um, so does, has the, the, the making of art, in this period become a a way a a means of partially separating yourself from that or turning that energy to good um well there's a component of the art that i've some of the art that i've made that i certainly um have put out on you know digital media platform yeah. social media but it it's but they're but you're almost you're, always in the digital representation of an analog piece yeah. that you made yeah and it's almost I mean, always fundraising to, yeah to like raise money for I've, i raised money for the cdc the who george floyd memorial ncaa uh naacp aclu um this climbing gym in lebanon um that was destroyed in the explosion what so that impact was lebanon it was completely destroyed that yeah it was 0.8 miles from the explosion i mean it was a two-year-old gym it it was annihilated i mean it's like um uh impact lebanon lebanese red cross so like my art is it started as just a creative process an imaginative process a healing process um a way for me to say things into the world without using words or too many words mm-hmm. or any words. Um, and the thing about printmaking is that it's a it's a, a quite a big process of little processes within it. So my idea and then a drawing and then translating the drawing to the block and then a carving and then using the ink on the block to interact with the paper and then the print is made and then making in addition, so many prints, and they're always different. They're always yeah. And then, and is the material you're using since like it? it, it is it? A, it's a synthetic. It's not actual wood. It's not it's wood. Synthetic material. So mm-hmm. does it like do those edges degrade? Yeah, uh, with but a n- number very, of prints, very, very slightly. Like that's okay. That's the whole um, evolution in yeah. printmaking. It's basically. It's basically a, a rubber 
um, a thick piece of rubber. Okay. And so the degradation of the actual block is it takes so much longer than wood. Okay. Um, so, so you can make so many more prints a, from it. A lot more prints that are more similar than mm-hmm. less mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah, the only real variation is in the application of the ink, the thickness. Okay. yeah. Like the humidity and the water content of the ink, like it creates variations, but there's so much tighter and smaller than using wood. Um, And you can clean it so much easier and clean it in between runs of printing. So it's, um, but yeah, so, and then I did, I just, everything that I made, I just asked for donations and money to go, to go elsewhere. I just, yeah. And because like the making of the th- of the prints and the and, and you're not handling as, like as far as I could see like you're not handling the money. It's like, hey, show me a receipt from a donation to this yeah. organization. I'll send you a print. So, which so is a pretty cool way to do that's, it. That was that's cool. I've done that a few times. I've also just done the just like throw money at my um, Venmo. Uh-huh. The thing about the screenshot your donation yeah. like it gets hard to keep track of in like my Instagram inbox and all the shit. And I'm like, then I freak out about if I missed one or two people who donated. And I, so, but if I have the Venmo, I just have all my Venmo transactions and I ask people to like put their address in there. And then it's just, um, then it's just in there and super easy to keep track of. Yeah. So like, so it goes in the Venmo, you can keep track of it and then sort of, and then, yeah, then I, I, uh, I at some point have to, take it out and then donate it and but donate just, it and then to, to, and also keep i mean it. it's been yeah and i just try to keep track of the amount of money i pay for postage and paper and yeah. ink and supplies and shit and but it's it's been really incredible and then 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 that turned into t-shirts and that's that's been cool and um i don't know it's it's whatever it's and like got its own life now and yeah i'm just following i'll follow it wherever and i'll i'll do i'll i think i will print make forever now, okay which is cool is it keep sharp yeah is that-, that was one of the first ones yeah yeah and it's right. it's so connected to the ceramics to my to the, my study from college and just my the tactile engagement of my mind with my hands and and then this process of like you get the clay and then you have to take all the air pockets out of the clay and then you have to put it on the wheel and then you have to make something out of it and then you have to let it rest and then you have to trim it and and then let it rest and then fire it or then glaze it you know and, and all these processes in a huge in a much bigger process and so for sure it's like connected all the way back to 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 that to that but also i mean i just see everything you were just saying right there is is climbing yeah, well, yeah, processes and pro- and within processes, yeah. And uh, and the and the tactile nature of it, you know, in a way, the use of hands, physical body to express 
a, a creative vision. The thing is, is that I knew I was never going to be. I mean, my, yeah, my dad's a dentist, so he uses his hands a lot and surgeons use their hands. And, and, and so there's that. Maybe I could have gotten the fulfillment that I have from my life now out of pursuing pre-med and, and trying to be that professional that like my dad wanted me to do, go to medical school or yeah. whatever. But like I knew, I've known since I was, even before I could, ha- I had memories that like if I, if my life wasn't physical in some way, my job or my, or huge parts of my day-to-day life weren't mm-hmm. physical, I wasn't going to, it wasn't going to work for me. I knew I needed to use my hands or like my whole body and and for as crazy as it is like i fucking love manual labor like i loved that job with the concrete countertops it was there was an artistic element to it but i mean it was pretty sort of monotonous easy process but i loved the installs and carrying these fucking massive things and then putting them into really intricate places and i so I just, I've always needed, I'll always need that to, to really engage with my, my mind and my emotions and my body and then whatever spirit, if you want to take it there. We, we have to <laughs> take it there. I mean, because that's funny. I was, I, I was, you said that I was like, back of my head was steering hope was going to steer a little bit towards climbing but um but there's not climbing without a spiritual component to it for for me for i was just going to say that's not true for everybody but no, i now sense climbing is an after school yeah fucking activity yeah which it's okay and a really weird form of like i don't know what events are meant to be in the olympics Okay. Combined. Okay. Which has never happened before, but they yeah. didn't want to give three sets of medals for lead, bouldering, and speed. And speed. They just wanted to give one set of medals, so they okay. made it a combined. But obviously it's not happening. Um, yeah. But... Uh, but which is I'm glad that it's combined in a, in a way just as a you know gold curmudgeon climber or whatever because it would be really hard like when Nick was in the new Madison Heights place when he was putting up like he, he got some money from some individual members families to put up the two speed climbing this, yeah. lanes mm-hmm. which are very specific in height the placement that the holds themselves, the placement of them. Yeah, it's standardized be, everywhere it's, in the world. Exactly. So this is standardized everywhere in the world. But when you watch it happen, you're just like, what? That was four times as fast as the hundred yard dash. Like I had no, my brain has no time to process what I just saw. Yeah, I guess fast in, I don't even know. Is the I don't know how tall it's 15 meters. I think. Yeah. Is it the, this? I think the speed route is 15 meters tall, and they do it in 
fast is like whatever six seconds seven seconds i guess okay so it's so it's half the i think for some reason i think it's a little bit faster than five seconds maybe yeah um but it just i'm just like oh that person just teleported you know like (laughs) it does look like (laughs) like how do you you know a person teleported faster than the other person like i don't understand what i'm like as a climber i could see like you know when i touch some of the holds you know when uh Nick was putting the first lane in and like, that's really wild. And then watched a couple of kids do it. And I was like, all right, that's completely alien to my climbing experience. But, um, but with the, you know, there's always, I mean, yeah, it's, I, I don't sense that, your relationship to climbing has been, it's not the after school thing. It's not the purely physical and the rest is separate sort of thing, which one could, you know, make kind of jokes about, which would be untrue, you know, regardless, um, because there has to be a whole integration for it to work at whatever level. But I I sense that your vision about climbing is I mean the the, other the world, offering it's otherworldly it's yeah maybe otherworldly I mean yeah. the offering that you brought this evening the you know a a drawing an illustration of the medicine Buddha like okay that's that that says something it communicates something about your spirit and and I think that's a I mean there's a really and I've, I've thought about it a little bit since it started coming in, um, is that, okay, there are physical limitations that were preventing you from filling, fulfill what I'm using my words, like I'm observing from the outside and making a comment, but some physical limitations that are preventing you from fulfilling a, 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 a an almost spiritual potential. And I could say psychophysical potential, you know, whatever that is, but I feel like it's a bit beyond that. And that's my observation from outside. No, it's, 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 um, pretty accurate, man. Oh. Yeah, I, I've always felt like there was something other, and I've always seeked it, and some of the most profound experiences that I've ever had of what I think think it might be have happened in my climbing life and in and through climbing and also through um training and just the process the processes that i go through in living this life that I live, I guess. And 
for sure when I moved to the red, I was just seeking slowness and a stiller existence. I wasn't a good climber. Like it wasn't about climbing. It was just that the red offered me space to figure out who the fuck I was after 22 years of my life kind of being of me being a pawn that was kind of like pushed around by my parents and my professors and coaches and friends and and I've always I had this vision when I was like a senior in college or maybe a junior and I was like my fucking life is a ball of yarn and and I didn't I didn't spin any of it I didn't fucking weave any of the ball and I was like all right when I graduate I'm gonna fucking find a way to throw the ball of yarn out into the thread and I'm gonna put it I'm gonna wind it back into a ball and I didn't know what that meant or what that was going to look like, or how the fuck that was going to happen. But for sure, when I moved to the red, that was like, throat, that whole fucking ball of yarn went out into a thread. And then I just like, started putting it together the way that I, I wanted to. And it was like, immediately, like this weight just was gone. And I just felt me. And I and it wasn't like a a brief glimpse of me in the midst of chaos of college or ski racing or it was like a prolonged experience of a person that I didn't really know that well but then had the time to get to know. And also, whatever the fuck, the other thing, the the mystery, the the mysticism is and how this person that I didn't really know very well was going to engage with that and with the regular ass world that everybody else was living in. in. Yeah. And I just followed that. And it's so when I met Gus and young Sam, who was quite young (laughs) at the time in 2014, um, and he had mentioned you. And then that winter I was back in Salt Lake and I was in momentum a couple of times and it's like, okay, that's the guy that Gus mentioned. And for some reason, I had this idea because maybe someone had mentioned you in past or whatever, and I was just like, artist aesthetic almost. Like it, like I had a, a a a an imagined creation of you in my head based on you know because that's how we know people was by yeah. hearsay, like especially when we never you know didn't get to know them yet and and so i i always had this thing like because that that winter i was training kubiak um and litz and the, um tyler whose last name i 
always escapes me. Uh, but they were coming down to the to uh, the gym. We were doing like a like a kind of come. I had this idea about what was wrong with climbing training at the time that I wanted to try out a solution for. And then in conversation with Eric uh, Kubiak, you know, specifically about some other issues that he had seen, and we kind of melded into this artificial program that became something that maybe helped somebody. I mean, I know he had a really good spring after that block of training. Um, but they were not the same personalities as you. Like, Eric is quite, uh, I don't know, I'd say objective in, in a way, um, very analytical. And, uh, part of the reason that we started doing anything together, he's just like, you know, a little, you know, enough about climbing and your brain doesn't work like the brains of the people who are designing this training is what he said to me. And he's just like, look, you can draw, you've been in the past, you've proven it. You've been able to put like certain pieces together that had not been together before or seen solutions where everyone had been looking at that thing, but didn't see the thing or whatever. And which it's a nice thing to say. I don't know if it was absolutely true in that case, but I realized a few times that you had walked into the gym. I was like, that is it's, he walks differently. Like, Mm. like he had a different, it almost, it seemed like he had a different reason for being there. Mm. Um, and so when we sort of first had contact, I thought, Oh, this could be an interesting, okay. There's going to have to be a time period of like doing the physical thing, having a couple of conversations, this, that, but it'll be time. And I feel like it's maybe now it's almost ready is, like, okay, now we can have the exchange that was what we both probably saw when you first initiated it. But I think it has something to do with, like I left climbing with a deep spiritual connectedness to people and the world that didn't exist for me, even in the first, let's say, 10 years of going climbing, like that came well, you know what's fucking crazy is I remember reading Kiss or Kill and wanting to experience the world like you spoke about it in that book. And thinking that I had a bit of understanding through my skiing life and ski mm-hmm. racing and training in that. But I always sensed there was something deeper and then having context with like a book like that and yeah <laughs> many other things if you go searching down that that those roads if you open yourself to that possibility in yeah. a sense i mean i i don't remember what year it was it could, it was 92 or 90 it's probably 92 um, Thierry Renault, it was an incredible year for waterfall routes in the Mont Blanc Massif and around. And uh, Thierry Renault did a new route, the Cascade de la Lire. And uh, I can't remember the two guys. He might have been with Wilfred Colonna. And then I can't remember the other guy that he was with. Um, but he led a pitch on that route. Um, 
I think that was 15 pitches. I mean, it was a big ass frozen waterfall, mm-hmm. especially for Europe. Um, and one of those pitches, he was, he came back down afterwards and it, I mean, the, the two guys had to, you know, use Jumars to climb the rope afterwards. And Thierry basically said, yeah, I levitated. And, and then he went, which opened his mind to that road. And then he went, he rode the pendulum to the exact opposite side. He quit climbing. He went on a religious walkabout mm. kind of thing. He, he's back climbing, guiding now, you know, but this is many, many years after the fact. And I don't know how long that trajectory was for him. Um, but he went hard, hard down that path, mm-hmm. having been exposed to something in those 50 or 60 meters of climbing. You know, whatever experience he had there just completely transformed his his soul mm-hmm. in some way. I know it happens. And and I and it may be lost in the seeking like of driving that too hard in a way, but I think being sensitized to it is how you how some of the really great like human interactions with nature that, you know, the result of which is some great human accomplishment. I think some of the greatest things have happened because of that openness to something beyond, you know, something that has a different relationship to gravity than, than we human beings have, or the, the, our physical selves have. Yeah, I I I feel like I can partially relate to that. I mean, I I That sounds like a really powerful transformative moment that obviously changed the entire direction of his life. Um I definitely have had unexplainable things happen you know and moments and unexpected and too many to disregard and and think were random or coincidence or not connected in some way and um It's been an interesting road making like a full-on career out of my climbing and it changed it it changed it and um I had a lot of hard years in the middle maybe even like never fully losing it but like getting pretty far away from it um and i like to think that i'm kind of on my way back okay um does it feel so say making a career out of it then 
it's basically sponsor relationships. And then your job as a supported athlete is not necessarily to go climbing, but that is part of it. Cause otherwise you wouldn't have stories to tell to people. And part of it is storytelling. Part of it is teaching it's social engagement in some way and some product design yeah. potentially mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, and do you feel like that when you say that you went, you got far away is it the sort of demands of the work itself? Mm, my or, own my own interpretation of what I was supposed to be doing for those things and my own tendency to work too much and do too much. Um, ah, the, the old expectation <laughs> of other people's expectations mm -hmm. conundrum. <laughs> and like I, yeah, and so the redefining of um like my responsibilities as a climber in a not so healthy way took me away from um what what, what do you mean like responsibilities as a climber just just like, within the industry as a formal okay. job uh my my responsibilities to my sponsors and to the community these cl the climbing events um and then you throw in the fucking new age media you know new technology cameras on the phones social media you know wrench in the spokes of like what is advertising and marketing and being a spokesperson and an ambassador and I mean I've seen people lose their fucking careers over shit they said on fucking Instagram and and I've seen and then simultaneously, I've seen completely undeserving people get so much attention and money and sponsorship and gear just because what? They had a fucking loud voice or a nice body or a or some yes. something clever that is actually stupid as hell. So it's like... I've always struggled with where I fit in. And now it's like times a million, you know? And, but thankfully, I'm, I feel in the arc of my aging, I'm redefining where I fit in, not with regard to all this external bullshit. And more in regard to, like, what I'm experiencing inside of myself. Mm -hmm. And that's just the thing about timing, right? Like, you... Over which you have no control. Yeah. I mean, it's like the accident of timing, in a, in a sense. But, like, I look at it, I go, oh, well... I mean, I have that this feeling that you have been... And I don't want to make it... I don't want to trivialize it. But it's going to sound like that, and I got to go with it. Is like I sense that you have been socially conscious ahead of this spring, like for years leading. Like like the accident of timing is that 
you're in a position now to do what something that you have felt strongly about. Um, Because when you went to uh, Lebanon to go climbing was two years ago? I went in the spring of 2014 to um, suss everything out alone um, just to see what... What could be... Yeah. yeah. What's it like? And then... so that we, I went in the December of 2014, I think. And then we did the big project in the spring of 2015. And then I went again in December 2016, I think. To So, yeah. I mean, and having relationships there with, you know, what I would presume would have been sort of a fledgling, marginalized climbing community in a way. Now, like, okay, developing a relationship with climbers with this you know, this climbing gym that was there, that kind of thing, man. And you're in a, you were, had been in a position when, you know, that big ass explosion happened to like mobilize some other conscience to help out. And I, so I I feel like the accident of timing in a way is that you are who you are in this time right now. Mm -hmm. And, that's yeah i mean for me useful and necessary yeah. let's say like and for, for, for maybe as you're explaining useful and necessary in a broader regard or to sort of serve but it's also been useful and necessary to fulfill something within me mm-hmm. that just climbing never would yeah like i yeah. I I've and a lot of those middle years that I I was just talking about being hard were like the years that I was trying to climb every month of the year only thinking about climbing living a super like myopic existence and I, there was only one part of my being that was getting like attended to and the bucket sort of like filled up, but all these other parts of who I am and things are, that are important to me were, were not. And the shifts started happening maybe, well, a big shift happened after Everest expedition in 2012. So maybe that was the start of the shifts, but like, um, my climbing Everest 2012. <laughs> my climbing is uh, never going to uh, ever be just about climbing. Yeah. And when the times in my life when it has have been the harder hardest times. Yeah. And the times where I've used my climbing as a tool to visit places or do work or see things or help people or tell stories that seem disconnected to climbing mm-hmm. are have been the best. One of the really cool uh, 
sort of presentations I've seen about climbing recently. It's got to be two years, this coming October, I guess it'll be two years ago. Um, a friend of mine was doing some team building stuff for a professional baseball team, whatever, rented this big ass house down in Moab and they were there for a week or whatever. And, um, hired me to come down and talk and then, uh, and I dragged, you know, dragged Brittany Griffith along <laughs> and she came down, I mean, and, and told the story. Yeah. It's about, you know, climbing in different places around the world, but the most, you know, some of the most interesting part is like going to Jordan, going to Iran, going to these places and like climbing that at that point doesn't make, like you don't even need to talk about that part. It's the human experiences that she had there, the role, you know, the relationship that she had, the like teaching, you know, uh, the, the wife of their, inter, you know, guide or whatever. I think it was in Jordan, um, a couple of different recipes so she could make something different than what she always made. And, 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 like, yeah, seemingly unrelated, but it was climbing that got her there. It's climbing that has, yeah. like, given her the wanderlust that she has and has been expressing for fucking ever. And the fact that for me to go to, like, all travel up to, you know, probably just, a you know, even a couple of years ago had something to do with climbing. Even Like, okay, I need a reason to go to the place. And, you know, see, yeah, I was work related because of those movie jobs. I got, you know, around to some place I never would have gone. But most of the places that I went in the world before that, where I had some pretty remarkable and transformative experiences, not necessarily, you know, during the nine days on the route or whatever. Well, dude, I mean, like, here we are. Like, we've never fucking climbed together. Mm hmm. I've not climbed with Michael or Keegan. Yeah. And, like, this is a testament to exactly what we're talking about. Like, just sitting in this room having this conversation is like, I mean, we got here. By way of climbing. Yeah, but, like, none of, like, none of the conversations we've had really, I mean, Maybe they've been 5% about climbing, you know? Yeah. Um, and this is just a really perfect example of, like, that. I mean, and I, I'll always, uh, this is, like, this is what I want to use my climbing for. Um, now, anyway, I mean, or a very intentionally cultivated part of it has to be this. I mean, I still have ambitions and I know that those ambitions will require me to like go into that pinhole myopic existence, but it won't be like a sustained period of time by any means. And I'm open to being wrong about that too. What do you, what are the like ambitions? It's okay. Particular routes, particular locations, particular grade, Mm -hmm. whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and all sort of revolving around as yet untapped or unexpressed physical potential in, in a way like, like what is, I'm kind of curious, like at this, at, at this point with, and I'll just in air quotes, um, I mean, uh, 
I'll say in air quotes, with all that you've done. Um, when you say ambition, we sort of, where does it come from? Like, like, how does that, where does it come from? How does it manifest? Or I think that I really want to believe that the most beautiful performances that I have left in myself are going to be an expression much less of my physical preparation or training um there's obviously like a certain level that that needs to be but um oh yeah i, I mean the, the the like the physical capacity opens up the different opportunities yeah. but i, I feel but, like um I think there are mental, emotional, spiritual components that I either need to let go of or to cultivate in order to find that like next level of experience. And um, I'd really, yeah, I'd really like to spend time with that. I mean, I love to physically train and I love the physical act of climbing and, and mm -hmm. moving like that. But I feel things uh, when I climb. Um, that aren't physical and I and a lot of the times they're inhibiting me and I and I I honestly feel like I s see that in other people when I watch them climb okay I feel like elements of people's personalities I can see in their movements and attempts to solve problems and the way that they approach um, a climb, a boulder problem or a route or whatever. And uh, that fascinates me. And I've always found it interesting, the physical, different physical archetypes climbing the same route. So get Scott Franklin versus I don't know Lynn Hill or whatever well they're the same side <laughs> <Come> <laughs> I was going to say someone like Francois Marcini who's you know six foot three or yeah. whatever with like a plus six or seven eight yeah. index you know but that's like, just the surface this the physical but but it but but the physical informs the temperament also with with the the, the way that you express it that you know if I'm and if I'm you know remembering Marcini, you know, rock climbing that he's because he's so long, everything looks very like languid and almost elegant, able to skip holds that 
you know scott would have you know and then like comparing that to scott or even at the time like jimmy surrett versus scott franklin you know during the like 1988 80 you know 87 88 version of the wild things climbing team or whatever like okay scott's compact super strong was always going to use you know uh i mean he just seemed more explosive dynamic and, and, and dynamic pop, sort of pop and, bouncy and poppy exactly but like my question about but that informs that, the personality like yeah. like the, the the physical way that you can relate to the root inform like reinforces certain personality characteristics that you develop based on your physique and your physical capacity the fascinating thing to me to think about is are they intentionally expressing themselves that way or do they even are they even aware that of how their movements speak for them. Because Francois can look a certain way to us as he's climbing, maybe flowy and sort of like smooth, and he could feel inside himself like he's rigid and shaking and, sure. and short of breath and... and potentially feels horrible and I I want to and this, maybe this comes from like watching video of me ski race training training yeah I want the way that I'm trying to express myself to actually be the way that I'm expressing myself I want to have the emotions that I'm feeling be able to be perceived in the way that I move, whether it's joy or freedom or lightness or anger or, and I want to be able to use the fucking dial to decide for myself, like when I, when to use those and to what intensity and and also respecting how sustainable each of those emotions are like yeah anger is appropriate but not for a 24-hour push yeah like look i can apply that that's that's not a good long-term fuel yeah let's you know let's say that's explosive not so whatever i just um at some point we were early on we were talking about you know difficult roots and what makes certain roots difficult and that kind of thing. I, and, and I recall you said something about the things that the difficult roots that, um, that resonate with you or that with which you resonate are, longer like they're more endurance type of sport climbing routes so the grade is 514 the hardest move on one of those routes would be not the hardest let's say it's 514b or c whatever um but the hardest move isn't that grade it's an accumulation of the other things I mean, of low, of less technical, and I don't know what that would be because it's not my world. They all look impossible. So, 
that's an expression not only of your physical self, but but also your temperament in a way. And yeah, it's it's dude, that's that processes and processes. Right. Like there there are sections of the root sections and rests, and the sections build, and they have their own requirements and um yeah generally longer roots that are complicated you know intricate beta and sequences and movement that yeah requires an like oscillation of effort physical effort and breathing and mental sort of awareness and acuity in these really broad spectrums from the ground to like the hardest sections to to like rests on the root where you you're managing a lot and Yeah, that I've always been drawn to that like bigger, complicated, more complicated process. And, I think. And do you th- is is part of that like the knowing that you're going to be, you know, on it for a long time, as opposed to like, oh, I need to do these two moves on this boulder, and they're the hardest two moves that I could possibly string together. Yeah, you know, or whatever, and then it's done. Okay, so it's, you know, it's the it's that, or it's fifteen seconds, or whatever. But if you're on a, you got a long thirty meter sort of section, let's say. Yeah, my my favorite <laughs> moments are when I'm alone, way up high. Okay, and I know I'm connected to my partner, and potentially other people at the crag but like um, I'm high enough off the ground that I feel like I'm in my own little world Mm -hmm. and I've I've also um, yeah I either have been or maybe haven't been up there before like if it's an on-site attempt or a flash attempt and it's my first try and but just when I'm up high um, I just it just feels it's just like all on me mm. and it's just me in this space between being fully conscious of myself and my separation between the rock and the whole environment and then moments of complete oneness where there's no separation like my conscious is put away because i'm exerting myself and i'm just being like the animal that i am and there's no space for thinking and no one ever gets to see that you know especially when 
it's pretty high off the ground. And like that's those are my favorite moments. And um it doesn't even have to be like on the hardest hard. It can just be hard enough so that the thinking mind my professor mind just slips away mm-hmm. and I'm just being the movement and being like the bird in the air or I'm just like there in the landscape and how how much does the like the medium itself affect you because if I, I was just had him this thing going through the back of my head there about the highly specialized rock climbers in certain eras even even today um compared to other guys who were you know really good at a lot of different sort of disciplines like if i go back to thierry renault i mean he was a and he had the speed record on the nose for a while. I mean, his nickname was Turbo. I mean, those guys were super fat. They were really good fucking rock climbers. He was a really good ice climber. He never had any Himalayan ambitions, um, but he was good in the Alps on all kinds of different terrain uh, versus, you know, then I would look back and see somebody like a, uh, and, and maybe maybe I missed these parts, you know, like just say Jerry Moffat or somebody who was like highly specialized or other, you know, guys that, yeah, they maybe they stepped out, you know, Kurt Albert or Wolfgang Gulick, you know, they, they did go to Trango Tower, but, you know, it's okay, yeah, we're in the Himalayas. We are at high altitude. There is the weather stuff, but this is a purely, almost purely a rock mm-hmm. route, let's say. You know, and then compare, okay, somebody like uh, Josh Wharton, who's like good across a lot of stuff. And I know that, you know, one of the things, and I had seen your name as, you know, okay, on the top step at the URA Ice Conf, but I, but like it didn't register as, you know, my immediate thing was like, oh, it's been some other Sam Elias, <laughs> you know, or something <laughs> like as if, you know, but because I just, I had in my head, you know, like, okay, this is the, you know, this is his focus. And like, do you sense that the, I, I guess that, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm asking is your temperament suited to one more than the other is your temper, you know, that did, did ice climbing, you know, is it a, even a thing because you spent so much time standing around the fucking cold you know, skiing or, or just being in Michigan, you know, um, and and that, that it makes that more accessible and natural to you than, than not. And you did mention, it mentioned Everest 2012. And I was like, okay, you can't just like say that and then walk away. So (laughs) I, I haven't intentionally, um, like cultivated, I feel like I've found myself at this with this skill set that's like yeah really broad and um yeah I mean I was living in the reason I got into ice and mixed climbing was because I was 
living in Colorado, Western Colorado, the Western Slope, where the winters are real and I couldn't go rock climbing and um, I had friends going to Vail. I was working in a gear shop and... Um, West I Slope, just, where was this? Glenwood like Glenwood, okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I love winter, you know, and I love being... I love the cold and I, I love winter is so dynamic as a season and I all, and I've skied since I was two years old. So, and you know, skiing involves a lot of gear, a lot of sharp gear. Like I, sport climbers, they don't want to get cold. They don't want to deal with all this gear, let alone stuff that can like puncture them. And and so it was just a really easy transition to that, and um, backcountry skiing, ski mountaineering, like having a skill set to feel competent in the mountains. However, rock climbing, ice climbing, yeah. mixed climbing, skiing, um. And I've been really grateful that I have been able to have these experiences um, and not need one specific thing or season yeah. to access it. And and that like you know I've 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 had really heinous injuries cl- from climbing that I could just go enjoy a winter of skiing and not have to fucking think about a finger or elbow tendonitis or a blown out shoulder or whatever and um and that probably speeds recovery in a way like if you're not festering with this injury that's keeping you from doing the one thing that you feel defines your identity or like ankle stuff or knee stuff that would have been a like a year cycle for a lower body or a more exclusively lower body athlete Mm -hmm. that i've been able to climb around until the moment where made sense for me to get a surgery or whatever and um It's weird because it goes way back. It's like why a biology and a ceramics major? Why these two balancing seemingly disparate com- things? Yeah, yeah. complementary. Why rock and ice? Why climbing and skiing? Why sport and art? I've always had these threads that have been extremely necessary and complementary and balancing for me. And do you feel um, like the physical activity informs the artistic expression? Like you need to go have these experiences in order to accumulate the artistic energy.
I guess that's a shit question because they're not like I'm I, the, the presumption there is that they are two separate things when they are not, but just allow me that presumption. No, no. It's interesting okay. because like, this 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 spring and summer was was really interesting with covid and then with george floyd mm. and um you know i i like there were a lot of weeks where i i needed to climb or like be physically active but i needed to come back and be in these conversations with regard to like social justice and racism and the landscape of of the outdoor industry and mm-hmm. um diversity equity inclusivity in these spaces and and i and i I'd go out trying to climb and I like have weird visions of like George Floyd or like Breonna Taylor and I'd have like really beautiful climbing day and I'd have all and then I'd have like a few beautiful climbing days and then I'd like, but I would have just come from like a string of days of like having these sort of conversations and and like reading all this stuff and like being on the internet and just trying to be informed and then have these conversations like in the industry or with my sponsors or with other athletes. And it was like one was fueling the other. Okay. Like my climbing was fueled in a positive way by me being engaged in these other spaces and conversations and and then my effectiveness or ability to participate in these conversations or come and make art at my home was fueled by the by the days that i had out climbing unplugged completely differently existing than being in my home on the internet on the phone on zoom and they were like it was like a positive feedback loop like i felt like i was doing good work on in my climbing days and both in my um I guess days is like a citizen. Um, and so they definitely inform each other. And I feel like they make the work on either end better. How do you um, feel about the... Like, I, I don't know what to, how to do this. Is the, has the outdoor industry been exclusive? 
the entire time. And, and I, I am curious in a way about that because, um, you know, my involvement with that industry, it's just like, okay, I have, I have these commercial relationships that allow me to do what I want to do. Um, but going, and maybe it's from having lived, you know, in Europe and having traveled, you know, to a lot of different countries where I met, climb, you know, local climbers who, you know, were certainly, you know, these are the mountains in my country and uh, I don't, I'm not excluded from them. Um, and... I mean, it's, I saw some stuff, you know, related to the outdoor industry, um, not, you know, the, the, due to COVID thing, but because, you know, based on the Black Lives Matter movement and all issues around race at this time. I mean, I've seen some stuff, some behavior of, of you know, people in the outdoor industry, climbers in the outdoor industry, um, you know, saying things, broadcasting things, you know, et cetera, that, you know, some of it um, quite good and interesting and I do believe valuable and some other shit that just was like blew my fucking mind and not in a good way. Mm -hmm. And, and, and now, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not a fan of commerce for the, you know, let's say, I mean, I, and it's not that I'm anti-capitalist. It's this, I know what people will do to preserve what piece of the pie that they have or to make that piece of the pie bigger or mm -hmm. to acquire more financial reward. Um, and I see, uh, you know, some stuff that going on in the industry right now, the, the outdoor industry specifically, as well as others that I think is kind of disingenuous and self-serving and not, you know, not true to, you know, it, what is a rather uh, important and intense social movement right now and um I, I guess the thing that one of those things that made me like, like the first thing that that you know that kicked for me in that regard was um uh, suggesting that black diamond be boycotted mm -hmm. because you know, the majority of the uh, shareholders, let's say the holding company also has some other companies underneath it, one of which was Safari Land, um, which, you know, whatever this person's view of that particular company, yeah, they've been making equipment um, that is used by police, that is used by military, that is used by, you know, law enforcement on what, you know, whatever level, not just municipal. Um, uh, you know, among other things, I had just come from a day of wonderfully difficult and focused shooting. I, you know, I used to, I mean, a, a, an old dear friend when I used to shoot competitively back in the day was, you know, guy who was, a mark, I think he was the marketing director at that time for Safari Land. Just great guy, you know, et cetera. But I don't like, and, and I, so, okay, I'm, I stopped buying Black Diamond gear to punish them wait who am i who's getting the short end like how 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 is this being effective and and how are these two things the same thing because hey the right you know to uh say what you're saying right now is 
substantive, substantively guaranteed by some of the users of equipment you know, made by this company that you're objecting about or whatever. So, and then there was a couple of other pieces after that, but that was the very first one for me where like, I got a foot in both camps and I'm also, and I'm, and, and on, you know, on the whole level, I have a, you know, I am, I've got a jack boot on one foot and I've got a, you know, a, or, you know, a fucking flat black hoodie and, you know, no facial recognition possible well, on, yeah. on the and, other foot. Like, like I'm, you drive a car too, right? Like yeah. you use fossil fuels and you like probably, shop at some grocery stores that maybe aren't like you know but, fucking but, best <laughs> and like and my only argument for like for my like, i have no defense for you know i mean I don't, i'm not going to defend driving a car because i think you know but it's because it is a necessary aspect of human life whatever we're going to burn fossil fuels because uh and and yeah that should change well i'm only saying you know, that whatever. because a lot of the people who engage in that oh in, in that, that discussion are, are participating in industries and, and all it, these other hypocritical paradoxical tension held industries and capitalistic free market systems yeah. that like don't work in black and white and I didn't mean to interrupt you but it's just you 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 absolutely have to interrupt me <laughs> but it's just like that was hard and I mean, it's a tough thing. And, and like, okay, so what can I do to mitigate? And it will just take the car thing. It's like, yeah, when I buy gas for my car, when I can in the, wherever I can in the West, when I'm driving in the West and I drive a fair amount, I, you know, I try to buy from Sinclair because they take the oil out of the ground right here, you know, either in Utah or Wyoming or, you know, here it's refined here. So I'm keeping the pollution where I personally live. I'm not exporting it to some other location. I don't try to, you know, it's just like, okay, this is something that I may be able to, maybe it's ineffective. Maybe it's just me like trying to feel better about, you know, whatever doesn't, but we can all do things that are, that help us to be somewhat consistent in our beliefs in, in a way and yeah i can't necessarily like uh yeah i i, I every thing we consume is you know comes with baggage that we don't necessarily see or or maybe we wouldn't want to see if it was pointed out to us couple of people have asked recently and this is you know in the last i mean we've been asked a number of times hey are you gonna guys put the podcast on youtube and blah 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 on cameras and this and i'm just like no fuck youtube i don't believe in uh, i believe in their right as a private company to censor what they don't think is correct on their platform to be broadcast i believe in that absolute that right it's not you know um I don't want to participate in it. Yeah. Because, you know, because I don't agree with the politics of their censorship. Um, but, and, and I, tr you know, I'll try to think about things, but some, but a lot of times fucking convenience trumps, you know, the, the you know, the, 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 the right thing and the climate always suffers for convenience. And if and anybody who's buying anything from fucking Amazon, right now and having it delivered so that they can reduce their exposure to, you know, potential COVID um, type situation from the grocery store, from any other place, you know, you went, normally you would have gone to the Home Depot for that thing, or yeah. you would have gone to the Walgreens or you would have gone to the grocery store. Then, um, and you start, 
like like if it's if it's convenient there's a climatic cost to it and we should you know all be very aware of that yeah yeah it's it's where to begin it's just fucking complicated (laughs) it's life like there's so many conflicts of interest and paradoxes and the more privileged of a life you have the more access to stuff materials choices like the more fucking complicated it gets and like I nobody and nothing is perfect and we're all just trying to fucking progress everyone can always do better and do you think do you think that do you think that every that you know the majority let's say because everyone's broad um is trying to progress well that's that's in, in a that's uh, that's a different point okay Agreed. whether people <laughs> whether people actually want themselves to do better or if they just can and should be doing better two different things i think and also the definition of doing better yeah like am you know cuz cuz a lot of times you know many people would say that doing better my definition of doing better is getting more right. so i'm taking more and then the person next to them their definition of doing definition of doing better might be giving more like might be contributing more in some way it's it's just fraught with no answers just questions on questions on questions and um you don't want to buy a fucking black diamond just shut the fuck up about it and don't buy black diamond like you don't we want to be vegan go ahead like I guess what it comes down to. Do you want to not wear a mask? <laughs> Rock on. You know, I mean, and and then deal with whatever comes your, you know, what. Yeah, there will always be consequences. The yeah. consequences for yourself, and then the consequences for others, and then the I think the consequences that we can directly see on others and on the world and then the ones that we don't we can't see and that we won't be able we won't be alive to see yeah like i think that you know personally a lot of what's happening right now the response you know there's some short-sighted responses you know for the sake of convenience amplified because of you know election year let's say but it's like oh the consequences of what directives you know let's just say vis-a-vis covid are going will exist you know not just this fall you know which is whatever two weeks away <laughs> um but you know it's it's five years down the road it's 10 years down the road it's like what will you know if we utterly change and i'm not saying it won't be for the better um you know the way that children go to school and socialize with other and learn social skills with other children if we utterly change that for a two-year period until this virus is beaten and knocked down and that'll be tremendous and magnificent and the best um you know let's just say there's going to be a two-year period here where some kids at a very susceptible age will be affected for the rest of their fucking lives 
And so that's something that should be, you know, we should be taken really seriously, but they're not fucking voters and they don't have money. They can't pay taxes. Mm -hmm. So no one's fucking paying attention. Like, like, and maybe that's not the reason because that's, you know, whatever bias I'm projecting onto that. But, um, but you know, that would be one thing where the unintended consequences should be looked at a little better. And, and, you know, and I don't think the same thing happens necessarily with commerce, but you know, it, it can. And the, the idea for me of, you know, it's come up a couple of different times, um, in the last little bit about like, let's just say the Sierra club's intention to disassociate themselves from John Muir kind of responsible for the existence of said club and all of the environmental advocacy that goes with that and has been done and has been good for public land, for preservation, for conservation, Um, you know, for whatever views he had things he said the fact that you know creation of the national parks was usurping land from indigenous peoples who lived there in the beginning okay the the the, but the fact of disassociating there so that they look politically more clean maybe not this year but three years from now when people start you know a relationship with the sierra club and never knew that there Mm -hmm. was a strong association with that individual and his conservation concepts, which I think are super fucking important. You know, I look at that and I go, look, okay, you're, you're, you will have no history to, t- you're like, you're, you're basically saying that you want history to start with you who are running it right now as if the Sierra Club sprang fully formed in 2020 right now without any of this history beforehand. Is that is that the, seriously? That's the story you're going to tell yeah, ten years from now, twenty the, years from that's now. That's the fuck best solution that you're coming up with right now. Yeah, yeah. I like. Let's just erase so that we don't have to deal with. Well, that's all. That's isn't. That's what cancel culture is, right? Like, just let's cancel this person, this organization, this narrative, this and start one here or start one there or whatever or replace it with this vision that we think is like one of the things we you know i can't remember if this got recorded early on or not but like the the idea of like what are we going to look back on 2020 you know what are we going to say about 2020 20 years from now you know like that's that's a worthwhile question to ask yeah it'll it'll i've been curious about that for most of this year and hell bent on trying to make it so that I, when I look back, it's not something I regret or am upset about or thought I could do dramatically better than I did. And I mean, do I, does anyone really want to look back on this year and just see that all they did was get in Instagram like comment yelling matches about shit or that all you do is shame and blame and project and like point out the imperfections in the world 
but you're not actually like off trying to offer trying to contribute in some yeah. way or cause you know help with positive change i you know the, I, there's a but also it doesn't necessarily need to be that because you could i feel like i've spent the year trying to learn where i will be more useful in the future like and, and this is you know it goes you know when the say okay you're against police brutality and i'm just like you're not looking far enough up the chain i'm sorry you know, it's like, hey, I'm looking at cops and I'm looking at the president. That seems to be where, and then nothing in between, uh, you know, in, in, in a sense. And where is it that, um, you know, what couple of podcasts I've just said, look, the targets have not made themselves apparent yet. Like, just don't, don't like take aim at things which are not the thing. Like, yeah, it's convenient now. Yeah, it feels like I can, you know, get it on right well, now. And, and the, the obvious, the, the fucking most obvious thing isn't really ever the, like, thing mm -hmm. that needs to be changed or addressed or... And the most obvious means of causing that change is also rarely the most effective and and it's yeah the most obvious and the most immediate is rarely the the way to lasting change consensual yeah. change because like i'm sorry this has to be whatever happens in a positive way okay two things the first one is is a shame but it's also true it has to be profitable The second less shitty thing that I think is is of a higher order is that it has to be consensual, that we need to agree. Like you can't just cancel out a certain part of the entire culture and do something different and think that, that they're just going to like not have some influence yeah. or not never be part of it. Never get mentioned again. Never, never. Yeah, they're just, you cancel them, they don't exist anymore. Oh, good luck with that. And so, and how do we, you know, reach a consensus? Well, it generally happens through conversation. And if we, if we're canceling motherfuckers who have a different opinion than our own, whoever, who are behaving in a way for whatever reason, um, you know, th that is, and, and that, that behavior is different and, 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 you know, 180 degrees or 120 degrees from, you know, what we think is the correct way ahead for, at least for ourselves. And maybe we're trying to like, get that on everyone else um as well like we got to have those conversations i mean and i feel like yeah i'm not down with federal overreach at all if you know if anything okay yeah libertarian states rights maybe even county rights you know i'll go that's kind of where i am on on that topic but I spent six hours with a you know guy who I consider a friend who's you know happens to be a federal uh, law enforcement officer and was in Lafayette Park and was in Portland probably in Wisconsin right now you know like because I want to have that conversation and we don't disagree you know a lot of things we don't disagree about and a lot of things where he said oh this is what the media said about this incident here's what actually happened mm -hmm. this is what the media said about this I was there I saw it you know I participated in that this is what it was you know like 
but who's having that conversation? Who's having, you know, sitting down, having conversation like we're having or sitting down. I mean, our, our friend Michael Carter is going to come back um, in a couple of weeks, you know, you know, grew up on the South side of Chicago and um, we've had some pretty interesting podcasts with him in the past. And I think we're going to have another one when he gets here, but like, but I want to have these conversations, differing point of view, um, not to the extent where, you know, someone's like, yelling because I don't find that super useful but like yeah it's important I, to at least try and I think that the thing that's not being rewarded and hasn't been you know like I think we're losing the ability to have this human to human um connection because we because our phones are in between us, yeah. but also like when we, like, like this is nice. Yeah, we're appropriately, we're about what, eight, nine feet apart, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, but we hugged earlier, so, you know, <laughs> like, um, but we're having a conversation. I can see your facial expression. We're sitting here face to face having this conversation. I go into any store right now and it's like, I have to, you know, I've got like a five layer mask or whatever. So nobody can see if I'm smiling or not. Um, and I have to shout basically so i lose you know once the volume goes up my ability to subtly you know manipulate my voice to communicate something goes away and it's like those things are going to have real consequences and they are the and they are things that are getting in the way of actual conversation yeah and i just you know the younger and younger generations are much more accustomed to interacting with other humans through their technology and it it just it it makes me yeah afraid that we're moving away from the even the ability for people to sit down like this i mean let alone just conversing but then like what yeah what what if we did have really opposite opinions about something how is any sort of compromise or resolution gonna be aligned um i mean you look when you look online you just i feel like all i see is a lot of opinion and a lot of emotion and i don't know about you but like when i engage in a highly emotional state somebody else that's in a highly emotional state it doesn't really go that awesome <laughs> and <laughs> and and that's when and and that's when there's even accountability in being in person so i like, got to make a joke about that sam i'm just like <laughs> It goes great for me every time. <laughs> well, uh, lucky you. I, 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 I'm trying I'm to completely, you know, so, like committing, you know, sarcastic suicide right there. Because, yeah, but but when you do interact in that highly emotional state with someone face to face, like the tools for resolution are within the intimate contact. Yeah. 
Whereas totally. those tools have been stripped away by the technology. Yeah. And like it just gets, it gets, it gets more emotional, more yeah. emotional, more. And it, it's like, very rarely is there any sort of resolution or, or, um, compromise or empathy. Yeah. Um, it just basically ends with like a double fuck you one from each side yeah you know and i i um i don't i certainly don't have um answers to any of these like paradoxes of life or conflicts of interest but I'm pretty fucking sure that the way that people are learning to communicate isn't helping and isn't going to help. Um, I'm less interested in what s people... The content of what people are saying these days and I'm more interested with how they're saying it and who they are when they're saying it because anyone can fucking say anything but like if you have something that you general genuinely believe in and want to be heard you're gonna have to have some skills with which to present that and it ain't gonna be on Instagram and I I think I'm trying to cultivate that in myself with with regard to just my presence and and the things that I want to express that are important to me and the the like resonance that I want that people to be able to feel with that um how uh, I mean, I don't think either of us is going to have an answer here. So, I, but, but I have two questions. Like, so, how, how do we like transmit the importance of those skills and get people to exercise them? I mean, I, you know what? I I love the fact that this, you know, the brew pub up the street, Templin, they finally got to open again, and that you know they've got a huge space out back, and the, like they're allowed to operate at X amount of capacity, but to walk in there and see people sitting at tables communicating like face to face which six months ago you would never have thought that that was unusual and now it's like fuck this is this is fucking awesome um or going to dinner tonight sitting outside or i like um i went to dinner with a friend uh last week and it was and it was the first time i've been out in a w long time and it felt super weird like to, to, how weird it like it was weird to feel weird out at dinner and and like without that without without the possibility you know you go into the grocery store there's no fucking human contact and there's no social kind it's like avoid that motherfucker you know like oh i gotta walk this direction up this aisle or i gotta do you know, this you know all of these things are steering us away from intimate social contact and i think that's super dangerous and i wonder how we you know ultimately can find our way back 
And I don't think the answer is a fucking vaccination because that is just, you know, that's another cure in a bottle, you know? Yeah. I, I wanted to say earlier that the pain and the, um, like hardship, turmoil for me having had COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the isolation, the, um, weirdness of the new normal, um, the just anxiety, uh, the months of just not knowing we're, we're, I, I would have I'd choose to have COVID once a month instead of deal with all that. And nice. I like that's I mean, it, that was one of those things like we talked about it here early on in March. We're just like, let's all just fucking get it and get it over. Like, yeah. cause we'll probably survive maybe some long-term effects, you well, know, that's whatever. Thing, but, yeah. but like that you don't that we don't know about is like what potentially long-term effects and what organ systems but like hey but if you but if you think about like so how is you know everything that you just said the anxiety the not knowing the you know the uncertainty the chaos of it that's all shit that was here before especially as someone involved in sports where there is no small amount of risk like, so why are we, and because I include myself in this, I'm just like, I used to be down with the uncertainty. Like that was what was attractive was not knowing. I used to really dig, you know, managing the chaos that is being in the mountain. Like all of these things that we've talked about were a part of life before. Why is it so fucking different right and like why are we responding in this way right is it because of the phones because of the media because of the like this external influence that we were able to keep at arm's length before or or is it really so different that we don't have the skills to like adapt I think that the the landscape of the narrative and the way the story about okay the, narrative that's a cop out give me come on the narrative just the, <laughs> I mean uh, no like I I, I, think I understand that it's a common word I'm just like come the, on the story of the virus mm-hmm. and the immediacy of the information about it yeah and the international narrative of the entire situation has put us as humans in a space with a sickness that we've never been in before and i i just think that we're totally unprepared and nobody really knows i don't think we're responding to the virus itself let's e- say the risk like the potential threat itself, we are responding to the information. You're right. We are responding to, to the narrative, yeah. not the actual risk. And That's I think what I'm trying this to say. was a, a 
a, a wonderful thing about climbing is that you go into this isolation type of thing. Who gives a fuck? Somebody climbed this route first 20 years ago. Like their information's irrelevant because they were different people. There was less collective experience. The equipment was different, whatever. So I'm going to like, I'm able to disassociate from the information um, and, and address what actually is. And I think that might be a really healthy way to try and deal with this. I feel like I see the climbing community actually dealing with this that way. Okay. Like in the list of priorities. Yeah. Uh it seems like a healthier arrangement than maybe other groups of people or in other places. I just the amount of information that's out there and the level of like pseudoscience and rumor and hysteria and reposting and interpretation of has everyone has a spray bottle of gasoline to like yeah selectively put onto the fire and so if you're not if you're not actually spending the time to find the some truer and truer information about this thing you're going to be victim to the hysteria to the to the rumor mill, to the pseudoscience, to the what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I get tested? Should I get tested? Is there a vaccine? You know, and it's like, okay, let's shift this exact idea to the Black Lives Matter slash racism issue. Are we responding to the actual thing or are we responding again to the avalanche of information the narrative well that's just it i mean i think in march even before we had and i'm just gonna pivot back to covid and the coronavirus okay well played there was 1.1 million billion media impressions i mean if there was i saw a graph that like plotted out all these other pandemics and viruses and flus and diseases and and their impressions in the media and and before even covid hit the united states of america it had 1.1 billion impressions which was orders of magnitude bigger than anything and so then if you take that it's so much more abundant and talked about and, and presented and i mean and, the, the 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 means of it, of broadcast yeah like that, the, the the number of impressions the it, it is common. It that is, it, let's just say in broadcast reposting, it is a new normal. So you take that and you yeah you you can apply it to any of the next viral material, digital viral yes. material. <laughs> yeah, excellent. That then it's. going to have so many more so much more involvement and then so many more opinions but then also the potential that like more broadcast means more potential for misinformation and and i'm not and that wasn't when i asked you know hey shift the that idea about responding to the narrative not the actual threat or the problem it's not me saying that racism doesn't exist 
you know, like, right. um, I mean, and, and I look at how fucking uninformed people are about, you know, who's who and who's done what in a way the an example being at this latest, I guess it was coming out of the Republican convention recently where Rand Paul was accosted by a bunch of people who were demanding that he say Breonna Taylor's name and, you know, calling his wife a fucking whore and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And he's like, but wait, I wrote the legislation, you know, I co-authored the legislation banning no-knock raids on a federal level. Like, you're talking to the yeah. kind of the wrong guy. And, 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 you know, and there's the, the next thing for me is yes, there's an individual, um, the, 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 you know, in that particular case who was unjustly murdered. Right. And, but what's the problem? Is it the fact that like, what's the problem? Yes, I've seen the leaked police reports. Yes, I understand there's criminal history on the part of both individuals involved in that in that particular apartment at that time. Um, but the main problem is the no-knock warrant. Like, when is that ever, you know, when is that ever, you know, warranted? And if it is, that should be signed off on by, let's just say, a triumvirate of judges, not just one, one yeah. um, you know, and, and because the fact is somebody knocks in my door in the middle of the night, the response is going to be something they don't appreciate and it'll be something that'll get me killed. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a lot better to just like, hey, we know where this person's going to be. Let's contact them, you know, in a more controlled situation. Let's not wake them up in the middle of the fucking night when, you know, somebody else might be present that we didn't want to be, you know, present or that we thought we could control, but we couldn't or, you know, whatever. So I look at, okay, yes, there's a problem. Yes. Should that officer be arrested? Uh, I, you know, I'm going to, you know, that's not my judgment to make because I don't understand the circumstances. Should a no, no knock warrant be served? Fuck no. Should the police be demilitarized? Fuck Yes. Like I'm trying to, like, I think we're, it's super, it's, it's relatively easy in, in this 1.1 billion impressions, you know, let's, you know, it's probably double that or more now on a lot of these issues. Um, like within all of that, I think it's easy to like, oh, here's the pet thing that I'm going to look at. Here's the thing that, but what is what, but the real change doesn't come from this you know, particular police officer or officers, whatever, getting arrested, punished, fired, jailed, et cetera. No, the real change comes from changing the fucking policy. The real change comes from like disbanding the fucking police unions on the one hand, because, or at least emasculating them so that they do the work that unions were intended to do rather, but, but everybody, nobody has, nobody exposed to power ever comes you know, very rarely develops a good relationship with it. Right. Yeah. Well, and like the thing, the propensity that I f feel like people just want to stay in their own little echo chambers and they just go searching for media that supports the shit they already believe in and that they they are gonna argue about yeah. and defend to the death. And that's so easy to do with 1.1 with billions and billions of yeah. voices out there you can just 
super easily find something that supports whatever you believed, how completely uninformed and ridiculous it may be. And instead of one, now there's two. And then the fucking groups then, of these uninformed people just get bigger and bigger. And, and then they start reinforcing, you know, self-reinforcing in a yeah. way. Like, oh, you said this and I agreed with you and you agree with me. And um, the, the something I, I, was, I watched a movie the other night um, called Kill the Messenger, which is uh, n- there were two movies that came out in that year, 2014 or whatever it was. There was Kill the Messenger, and then, which was the sort of, uh, you know, based on a true story thing. Um, and then there was Killing the Messenger, which our friend Eric Matthews produced, which was all about like, um, you know, journalists that have been killed in conflict zones and things like that, or kidnapped or disappeared or whatever. So this was the fictional one. Uh, I think Jeremy Renner was the the protagonist, but Ray Liotta played a character named Cullen in that movie. And the and for me, the whole movie came down to these three lines that he said, which were, you get attracted to the power, then you become addicted to the power, then you're devoured by the power. Mm-hmm. And that is, and and to me, that's what we're seeing in the ex, you know in in the ex, you know many of the ex, you know, expressions of the, you know of power by the powerful that's what we're uh, you know responding to right now and 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 i think like taking it down to these individual you know cases that are representative of the larger issue if we focus on the individual cases i mean i the, ideally you know it's a focus on the small and the change is large I, I get it. That's, a, I think, an optimistic viewpoint. If we, you know, work up the chain a little bit, then, you know, to figure out, okay, how is this, how did this become commonplace? Is it a racism issue or is it a power issue? Is it a, you know, is it like, is it a problem of term limits? Should these motherfuckers be gone in, you know, two years, four years, six years, eight years, whatever, you know, like, what is it that we are truly talking about that is being concealed? You know, what's the what's the signal behind all of this? Yeah, peeling the layers, noise. the onion, sort of back, back, back. Which the distractions, the distractions, the distractions, distractions. Like the attention grabs, the attention grabs. Kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier about there's no shortage of things to just like snag your attention. But is that is that thing? what the real problem is or the most effective place for you to be devoting your voice or your platform or whatever or theoretically nobody nobody really wants to do that work (laughs) well yeah it's hard i mean you read something like you know i read something and then i could go to i've got like a media bias website and i gotta go okay like you know Okay, this particular organization, I go and I plug them in and, you know, I get a little graph about far left, right, you know, whatever. And are they conspiratorial? Do they have tinfoil hats? You know, like, (laughs) and and you just like, in some cases it's worthwhile to chase it, but then suddenly it's three three o'clock and you haven't done shit, you know, and and I'm angry. (laughs) You know, like, um, but I I think there is a, like peeling back the layers of the onion it's it's interesting because all that stuff takes time mm-hmm. and the longer we sit with this and discuss it and 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 you know play out you know all that is rich in human experience let's say you know the longer we do that the more likely we are to find a long-term and lasting and consensual solution where 
I just feel like there's so much pressure right now to solve it now. Like, get rid of them. Elect someone else. Take their budget away. Do, you know, punish these people. Cancel that guy. Yeah. Her, don't listen to her either. You know, whatever. Like, yeah, there isn't an allowance for the fact that this, that change, that change takes time. That, especially in a big fucking complicated system. Think about how long it takes to stop or turn an oil tanker that is underway. I mean, and then, and there you have like, oh, the history of the United States, you know, 300 years of moving in a particular direction. You you want to change that and you want to make it a 90 degree turn, which is the most charitable description of what people are asking for. (laughs) That's going to take a bunch of fucking time and it's going to go, you're going to do it and it will happen. It could potentially happen by degrees. Yeah. But there's no way that there's a 180 degree turn without consequences that a, nobody wants here truthfully and B that other players on an international level would gladly take advantage. Yeah. That's the, that the hysteria that is, seem seemingly prevalent for weeks on end now it it feels like it's demanding that 90 degree turn yeah or harder or harder like every day yeah and those seem increasingly like people and voices that are not helpful have alternate agendas and maybe sort of like trying like attention grabs for their own means and you know I've found myself retracting from all of that and seeking out the calmer voices the the I don't have anything to sell but this is what I think voices yeah and just the like i've been doing this work for decades already and i'll be doing it for decades more and i'm doing this work for my children or my grandchildren or you know i had i I had a conversation and interaction with this woman who runs uh indigenous women climb okay and she was speaking about the work that that they do within their tribe and within their community as being seven generations yeah and forward and backward back yeah. yeah and like that's really interesting to think about that when you broaden your your view to include 14 generations of people and consider your actions and your approach and your daily life like that. You act differently. <laughs> Let me just say that that cannot coexist with a fuck you, I got mine culture. Right. And the short-sightedness of... Uh, like, I, th- I think you're right. You the, the longer you extend the timeline on any of this, 
the calmer you will become. The more you realize, like, uh, we can't, let's just put it in the hunting context, we probably shouldn't kill the entire herd this year. Even though we have, you know, we can refrigerate and freeze, you know. But let's just, in that context, take only what we need. And and, then, and and the short-sighted thing, and then like, okay, expand expand that to other natural resource harvesting. Why in the fuck, when oil prices are as low as they are right now throughout the world, are we interested in opening up and sacrificing, you know, a zone in the Arctic National right. Wildlife Reserve? Like, I, I mean, I know the answer. Right. You know the you know the answer that you'd get if you asked the person who's making this decision. Yeah. But then, I mean, or then just look at, uh, and I think I mentioned this in a recent podcast, but, you know, look at the, the very interesting manipulation of the whole situation at Standing Rock, which appears from a tinfoil hat perspective to have actually been a play to increase or improve the infrastructure to move oil by rail. Mm-hmm. If you just look at what, uh, Buffett's organization was investing in before any of that kicked off and was present in the media. It's like, oh, this is like this is a, an interesting twist that, mm-hmm. um, like, the why of things is increasingly important and also increasingly hidden. But, yeah, buried under layers and layers and layers of of other stuff. Like here, here's something to get up in arms about. Like, and you know, while over here, yeah, I I just am returning back to that idea of it's really fucking important where you put your attention or what you allow to have your attention, and also how you output energy because they're both finite in any given day and if what's pulling at your attention is bullshit and and if what you're devoting your energy to is just shouting in the context of the bullshit how how is any day like that can be considered something well spent yeah and and then you know and then it's just like and how is that affecting any single person's well-being just as in and of themselves is that creating a like better functioning human who's like you know they they would be much better off if they all thought like me (laughs) So that's what I'm going to like shout about. <laughs> you know what? Like it almost seems like at this time that disassociation is the more attractive. It's so it's so interesting that you say that because like I mean with my my covid information intake I took in a fuckload. I had a breakdown. Yeah. I stepped back a little bit. George Floyd happened. I spent a lot of time online and 
I had another semi breakdown and I had to step back and you know fully dis I don't want to fully disassociate but I need to be mindful of how it's affecting my health and then in turn what kind of ability I have to contribute back if any have a positive effect and I just um just find myself trying to slow and simplify more than speed and complicate and you know like and localize versus globalize because the fucking problems are really big and really complex and I don't pretend to have any idea where to start but like if I keep my mind smaller and where where were we like like the problems have always been big mm-hmm. human problems have always been complex in some way where were we in January of 2020 with the, you know vis-a-vis the problems that are all so big so complex so seemingly paralyzing at this point like, like not eight just months igno- later just like ignorant is that was that it was were we do we you know voluntarily have our heads in the sand it's interesting to think about for me it's interesting to think about because i i just And let me just say it's kind of rhetorical. I'm not like Yeah, no, but I I I I've time it's time it's timing and location, you know? Like I mean George Floyd's murder and the subsequent weeks and months um what it exposed in our country and our system and how we feel and we're talking about it now um we're in it it's our country it's it's but i just you know like what do people from other countries think about you know social justice and racism and um it's it's just really interesting to think about being a person in any given place and time i mean if you go let's i mean we could take lebanon for as an example and say that okay maybe racism is not the issue religious belief is and so for so people there have been dealing with that forever and it's like oh you guys are talking about skin color we're talking about relationship to you know, a higher power and you know, we're, we're not violent at all <laughs> here in the U S compared to like these, those types of discussions. But then you, you know, let's go back to the uh, late nineties, Rwanda where a couple of tribes decided that neither should exist. 
Um, so I think when people look at the United States right now from outside, if they are in countries where racial or religious conflicts have been the norm for a long time, it's just like, oh, finally, welcome. This is what life in the modern world is about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because because uh, I don't think anybody looks in from the outside and goes, oh, the poor you. You know, I think it's just like, oh, man, this is OK. This is exploitable. You know, if you're, you know, viewed from the from the perspective of a super state, let's, you know, um, China obviously being the most, you know, the biggest potential to, to exploit what could potentially be happening, you know, could potentially happen in the United States. Um, I mean, I would never say that, you know, like, hey, there's more guns per capita in the United States than there are in, you know, Lebanon, because that's probably not true. Um, but looking at it from the outside, you know, you're just like, man, they're so well armed. There's for sure going to be some kind of major civil conflict, which is possible here. And the, only thing that would be uncommon about that is that it hasn't happened for what 170 or 80 years where it has happened in other countries and we we do not want that yeah i mean anybody who i think trevor said it after you know having been overseas for a little bit said you know anybody who says they want to see a country this country in flames has never seen a country in flames like we don't this needs to be resolved in a way that doesn't lead to that because it would be fucking horrific yeah here yeah which is interesting to think about when you feel the intensity with which the conversation is going on right now and like the demands for the revolution to happen overnight or something and like uh feel so dangerous and like yeah completely unrealistic and again and, like and uninformed is, like no, just really uninformed uh, yeah i think uninformed and i and and, and also people blind to what i'm just like look you're seeing the national potential expressed in these very localized situations. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And no one's learning from that. No, they're only feel like there are very scary examples. I mean, I've seen a couple of potentially positive or constructive, but I mean, it's like, the 1%. And that is the thing that's really scary is the, I'm going to have to read a quote here from, from my own fucking book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just maybe, maybe this is in closing because we've been at it for a little bit. Um, The proper revolution isn't just destruction, but the creativity that follows or better yet, the creativity that makes destruction unnecessary. This is not what we're seeing. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Yeah. And I gotta admit, Sam, I don't feel that hopeful right now. 
I've heard that a lot from a lot of people. Um, and I guess the only thing that's helped with that is how closely I let myself get to it. How much I'm willing to sacrifice my individuality and my own moment-to-moment existence with myself for an engagement with the conversations and the issues and I don't have a right answer I just know that I think I'm aware of what the right answer for me is but that's just for me (laughs) I think an answer is that we have to keep talking and, and and having the courage to bring up a position that, you know, the person we're talking with might not, you know, agree with or whatever and to sort of hash it out. And we might have that conversation, but it won't be tonight. Because <laughs> <laughs> we probably, because <laughs> this is the intro. I feel like this could, could the, 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 yeah, this I was, could, uh, I was going to say, uh, right after you said we have to keep talking I was going to say, all right, well, cheers to next time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly, because it's fucking midnight. And so, at Book of Samuel Mm -hmm. is the Instagram handle. Mm -hmm. My digital presence exists there. Yeah, exists there. And I check in mostly to see new art, I got to (laughs) say. Yeah, it's been... Definitely the content flow has shifted. Um, sometimes I look at it. I'm not sure what I see is tying things together, um, but I guess that's okay. And yeah. it'll keep changing, I'm sure. <laughs> I fucking hope it keeps changing because that's how we are all going to go through this it's like i'm not gonna draw a line in the sand sand and say this far but no further or i am now made of you know concrete and uh, you know you're gonna have to destroy me in order to move me because that's not really a a thing i definitely couldn't keep my output just climbing climbing action photos or whatever that wouldn't be me and but it would be, you know, something that would be really interesting, like, you know, if, you know, as and if thing, if and as things open up again and like to go out into the world and, you know, with climbing as the the thread in the stories, which is something you've been doing with, you know, some of these video slash movie projects, you know, with, with climbing in the, in the past, but like to, okay, go to Beirut and find out what rises from that rubble yeah. and bring that story back like that to me would be really fucking interesting and cool and well mark and, you and, already know me pretty well because <laughs> like i mean i've been already looking at fucking plane tickets yeah with my sister like last week and so i'm glad that i i've cultivated something that seems worthwhile to you to follow and almost that you can sense a bit of where 
my sort of mind and and ambitions might go next i think um probably that because of a you know sort of personal connection and to the region let's say absent all borders that's uh probably the point on the compass to look for thanks for uh being open to coming in here yeah it was dynamic but so is the world <laughs> uh, so, yeah <laughs> and and there and there there has to be another like uh i think we got multiple starting points multiple starting points. <laughs> yeah exactly and, and and i was gonna say like enough of the hi how are you you know x3 whatever out of the way to to uh dig yeah you're welcome thank you i'll uh i'll see you friday out in the gym yep <laughs>